Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of March 2022, and uh, uh, we don't have a fucking theme this month, uh, so we're just kind of picking things willy-nilly, and uh, funny enough, uh, this week's episode was inspired by the previous week's discussion, uh, wherein we talked about uh, Nick Cassavetes' Alpha Dog. Uh, there was a segment of that conversation wherein Kyle and I uh, had a lot of fun going back and forth t- trying to determine what Dennis Quaid sci-fi film Kyle was trying to remember in the moment. Uh, I tossed out numerous films titles and, and descriptions, and eventually uh, the subject of Pandorum came up, which is the subject of this week's episode. Uh, Pandorum is a uh, sci-fi film from 2009, directed by Christian Alvart, uh, that, as far as I know, uh, neither Kyle nor I had seen as of last week. Is that right, Kyle? Yeah, no, this was one that I I saw pieces of on, like, Stars or HBO, where, like, you, you just turn on the TV and, like, oh, this is almost over, like, just a piece of this would be on. So I've seen parts of this, and I remember seeing the parts of it, and I'm like, I have no idea what's happening in this movie. Like, you can kind of piece together for some movies. I think it was the end part with... Um, the never back down guy dq and ben where i'm just like what the fuck is happening in this movie this is crazy uh but yeah no i haven't seen it until yesterday yeah see that's that's kind of interesting to me uh, like that that was a spur of the moment thing like we we tossed out the name pandorum and we both had this this exuberant reaction to it going like huh i remember that movie i don't know a whole lot about it but part of me wants to see that just because of like whatever snippets we were aware of at the time like in kyle's case like he said he he saw some clips of it over the years in my case i just remember seeing like i don't know commercials for it on the fucking spike network when i was in college or something um and part of it somehow like rented space in my head so i've i've always been aware of this movie i've always been somewhat curious about it and now that i've seen it i can honestly say it's all right um, there's unfortunately not a whole lot much more to say about it, um, but we we pulled the trigger on it. We've both seen it now, so no, the mystery of Pandorum is is finally solved. We've had worse. We've definitely had gone in blind on much worse. Yeah, we have had some stinkers. Uh, we have gone down. We've gone in blind uh, to some some stinkers over the years, but th- mm. this is not that. It it actually is a film. Like it's put together pretty solidly. It's it's just a little bit flat is the problem. Yeah. Like it's not outstanding in any in any real sense, uh, which is somewhat unfortunate because there are some pretty decent ideas at work, and there actually is some effort and talent on the screen. Like yeah. in particular, the makeup effects mm-hmm. are excellent. Yeah, like very really, much. really excellent. Uh, they're not used particularly well, um, but what what what's there looks looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, anyway, as I said, the film in question is Pandorum from two thousand nine, and uh, Christian Alvart is the director. Now, something that both Kyle and I became aware of like almost instantly <laughs> on hitting the play button uh, for this film was uh, the presence of Constantine Films as the Uh, chief producers of the film which for me is shorthand for paul ws anderson is likely involved because i understand they're a massive german production house this is like a a british german co-production of some sort um but whenever i see that logo i think of paul ws anderson 
and by extension, like his Resident Evil films. Um, and as soon as I saw that logo flash on the screen, I was like, oh, Paul, D- Paul passed on this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he read the script and he decided to toss him a dime, but he's like, I ain't got time for that, man. <laughs> like, like this is a, this is a fine script, but I just don't have the time. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw the producers and I'm like, oh, Paul W. Sanderson. Okay. Okay. And then when you see, uh, I just called her hot lady, the German lady, uh, I'm like, oh yeah, that's. That's that's an Alice. That's a hundred percent an Alice. Oh, one hundred percent. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if if Paul did a pass on on one of the scripts at some point and, and like penciled that in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like needs more Alice. Needs an Alice. <laughs> I think I'm just needs gonna have to... mo- needs more my wife. I mean Alice. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm gonna call her Alice instead of Hot Lady throughout yeah, the episode. Uh, I mean, it's basically interchangeable. There's going to be a lot of nicknames tossed around during this episode, folks. As Kyle had mentioned at the very top, uh, Never Back Down is going to be the name of a character in this film (laughs) simply because I just don't care to learn the actor's name, nor do I think he deserves to be referred to by his name. Well, because Robert Pattinson gets the uh, patented uh, Twilight, so it would be like, who is it? Twilight. You just know who you're talking about. This guy who's in Never Back Down was also in Twilight, who doesn't say a word in that movie. I think he's in the first one. Um, but yeah, if you've never seen Never Back Down, uh, he's the quote-unquote villain, as you can tell from his uh, his furrowed brow. Um, that movie's awful. Don't watch it if you haven't seen it. I'm totally gonna watch it. I know you are. I wasn't talking to you. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to the listener. <laughs> Yeah, Kyle's talking to the people. The people they gots to know. They they oh. need to be made aware of this. Heads up, everybody! There's a former athlete in the cast of this movie, so there's 15 minutes out the window. Yeah, that you can take your toilet break when when we get to that. Because yes, I do have things to I, say. I let out an audible fuck when I realized that this guy was a former athlete. <laughs> Kyle's just looking at the credits. Fuck. I'm like, how did that fuck. happen? I thought I was serious. twice in a row, two weeks in a row with two boxers, shit. two boxers. Yeah, two combat sports athletes, athletes in a row. So yes, that is about 15 minutes of the podcast. You can toss right the fuck out the window if you don't care to learn about these things. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to that. By the way, uh, Never Back Down, uh, it refers to the actor uh, Cameron or Cam Giganday, uh, who, as Kyle said, uh, in my mind anyway, I think of as the antagonist. I, I could tell he was the antagonist for that film because... Uh, as Kyle said, furrowed brow plus blonde. So yeah. in martial art, in teen martial arts terms, that equates to the Johnny. Um, by if you're going by Karate Kid logic, uh, so he was the Johnny of that film. Um, uh, I don't know that he ever got anyone a body bag in that film, but as a result of him being the chief antagonist of that film, he is henceforth going to be referred to as Never Back Down. Yeah, aside from Thor, it's really hard to get behind a blonde, uh, a blonde protagonist. Like it, you just feel like, hey, he should be the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's it's Feels not a right. good look being being a large blonde man beating up people. It's just like, of course, you're just going to equate that to bullying. Like yeah. that just doesn't look fair. It's like he got all the he got all the genetic gifts. Fuck yeah. that guy. Fuck that <laughs> he dude. got the he got the hair. He got the height. Like fuck yeah. that. And and the reach. More mm. importantly, the reach. He's wiry. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, never back down is in this movie. But 
Um, aside from that, uh, we actually have uh, a decent cast of capable actors here. Uh, we have Dennis Quaid, um, who DQ, DQ, and the oh god damn it, what's the name of his band? DQ and the the Sharks. The Sharks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you're not aware of this, Kyle made me Ooh. aware of this. I'm so glad he did. Uh, it's great. Dennis Quaid has a band. He has a dad rock band. Mm-hmm. It's Dennis Quaid, DQ, and the Sharks. And holy fucking shit. Kings and queens may come and go, but we got something they will never know. It's pure and touch, can't be replaced. It transcends time, it's bigger than space. <laughs> it sounds straight off of some blues clues or like some Nick Jr. horse shit. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe this, but you have to, I'm going to put a few clips of it in this episode. I guarantee you. Yeah, they give the basic amount of effort you need to write a song as far as musicians go. And the, the music's fine. It's not bad. But he is an awful singer. Like, absolutely terrible. He's an awful singer, and as far as I know, he's not a terribly pleasant human being. Um, also, like during that that perf- that performance, that stunning performance, that live performance, Kyle, he he gets a little too friendly with the crowd. It's like get get your ass back up on the stage. I don't want you bouncing up and down the aisle. Get out of my face, Dennis Quaid. No, <laughs> and I, I can I bet you can see like spit particles flying out of his mouth. He has that look to him when he's singing. <laughs> Um, so she definitely, uh, Meg Ryan was definitely married to Dennis Quaid, and I believe she went on to date, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. So I wonder if this was DQ, like, I, you know what, I could be a, I could be a musician. I could start a band and be just as good as that John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, no, you, <laughs> no, no, you can't, bro. Yeah, and you can give us such classics, such household like familiar classics as you're you're so fine. You're Could you so spell the word you're, sir? <laughs> Fuck. It's amazing though, Kyle. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. You, you you're completely welcome. changed my life. Um, but Dennis Quaid, I guess, is our headliner in terms of like star power, which is, I mean, the man actually has a resume. Like he even in this in this era in 2009, he was still putting in work like it he had a small role in fucking gi joe uh, wow. like he he was still popping up in places and and in fact he does seem to get roles occasionally like i said I, as far as i understand he's not a particularly pleasant human being these days um but he has put in good performances and he, more importantly though like performance quality aside he has been involved in some really good films over the years um so especially in 2009, like, he was not someone to write off, like, as, a, I don't know, a, a means of selling this particular film. But did you have something, Kyle? Yeah, I was going to say, um, uh, I couldn't remember what year it was out. He was in Traffic, by the way. He has a great role in Traffic. Uh, I really want to get to that um, here soon. Um, but I was like, yeah, he did The Day After Tomorrow. But I'm looking for Cold Creek Manor because I feel like it was right around this time. It might have been a little earlier. Uh, it was 2003. 2003. Okay. Um, that was, like, I think around this time, that's the only other one that I remember watching was that and um, The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, he's been in a lot of very good films over the years. I don't, like, I'm not positive if you could say his contributions to them were, like, overwhelmingly noticeable, but, I mean... Inner Space is, is a good time. In particular, one that's like special to me is a Enemy Mine, 
Um, that's actually a movie I'd like. Like, Kyle, have you seen that? No. I would like to do an episode on that someday because it is a very solid 80s sci-fi film with some winning performances. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr. kind of owns that movie, but Dennis Quaid shows up too. And on top of that, it's a very handsome production. It's a Wolfgang Peterson movie, so Mm. it's it's pretty. Like, it has some good images in there and some interesting concepts as well. But anyway, Dennis Quaid, like I said, he's probably our biggest name in the cast, but... Um, our protagonist is actually uh, Ben Foster, uh, who was, of course, uh, Jake Mazursky uh, in last week's Alpha Dog. Um, Kyle and I both spoke at length about how much we both appreciate Ben Foster. Unfortunately, this is not a good Ben Foster. Like, this is a horribly subdued Ben Foster. This is like, I don't know, vanilla leading man Ben Foster. Where it's like that's not a good use of your Ben Foster. No, like like he he is he is at his best when you you allow him to stretch his physicality and go nuts. Yeah. Either that, or you go the other route and have him be cold, distant, and creepy. Yeah. yeah. He's neither of those things in this movie, and as a result, he comes across as kind of flat, which is unfortunate. Because as I said, both Kyle and I generally like the guy. I would say he did kind of. I mean, I love it, The 30 Days of Night. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite vampire movies. And he's only in the beginning, but his little role's effective in there. Like, it's it's minor, but it works. Yeah, Kyle, you have been teasing me with mm. a review of that uh, pretty much since we started doing this show. I know, it sucks that you've seen it. Uh, <laughs> that's what I, I, it's, it's been long enough that I only remember, like, a couple of key moments, like, rather than the whole film. So it would be kind of, like... I don't know an eighty percent rewatch for me anyway. Mm. Plus, it it's a good movie. Like I, I don't need that much of an excuse to go back to it. Yeah. Um, so that is a someday um, because you have been, you have brought it up numerous times over the years. Yeah, I would like to cover that with other vampire films. Like, kind of go through like the different iterations. So that Ooh. that that has a that is a place for it. That's a really solid idea for a month. Like yeah. alternative vampire movies or or just like covering the different types of vampires mm-hmm. that exist on film because you have your Anne Rice vampire, you have your Coppola Dracula, you have your Bear Lugosi Dracula, and then you have like near dark, like modern, like borderline cowboy western vampire, and then you have 30 Days a Night where it's like, I don't even know what the fuck this is. These are, these are shark people, basically, <laughs> in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think 30 Days a Night's really high up there. I do really enjoy, I really like uh, Interview with the Vampire, but you just can't beat Gary Oldman. I think contemporary that I've seen, you, you can't beat that one. Yeah, Queen of the Damned probably isn't going to pop up. It's that. not. It's definitely no, not. No, no. With the, the failed Aragorn, uh, Stuart Oof. Townsend or whatever. <laughs> Didn't quite make it. <laughs> Fail, yeah, Failagorn. Yeah, no. Failagorn. Failagorn. <laughs> Uh, but in addition to the Ben Foster, we also have uh, Aunt Yatrao. Uh, I think that's how it might be pronounced. Uh, she plays uh, Alice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the character's name is Nadia, but don't be surprised if we just call her Alice. Um, she's not uh, really known to me as an actress. She is German, as far as I understand. I'm not positive about ethnically, but like she's from Germany, and she certainly boasts the accent. Um, but these days, I want to say to most mainstream American audiences, she's probably known as uh, Feora in a Man of Steel, Zack Snyder's mm. Man of Steel. Um, and she, like, if, if you look at 
if you look at her just like from an aesthetic standpoint in this movie it's like oh yeah there was no way this woman was going to get through her career without having at least a sit-down meeting with Zack Snyder <laughs> like like she she was created in a lab to be in Zack Snyder movies like it's no surprise whatsoever that they ended up working together um, and sure enough in that she's also largely just a, a physical presence in Man of Steel like she has very little dialogue she's just there to throw hands with Henry Cavill basically and look really really nice um, I think she's in Seventh Son for the same reasons she's just She's just there for looks, basically. I mean, her her accent, she does seem to be grappling with her accent at times in this movie. I can't speak for the, the rest of her career, but she, she really doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue in this movie, mm-hmm. nor does she have much of an emotional presence. She, se- she seems like she threw herself into the, the action aspect of the film, like in terms of performing the stunt work and whatnot, but I'll just say this much. I feel like she got better at it by the time we got around to Man of Steel because what mm. we what we see in the finished product here isn't exactly uh, earth shaking uh, mm-hmm. by any means in terms of like actors doing stunts and whatnot. But speaking of stunts, uh, now is the time where I get to bring up Kung Lee, uh, who is of course a uh, Vietnamese American uh, mixed martial artist. Uh, he did have a stint uh, in the UFC. It was largely um, I don't know flat. Like, he, he didn't really make waves in the UFC, but the majority of his, like, the bulk of his career was spent in a strike force, like, a much smaller organization. Um, but holy fucking shit, uh, 2009 was the year of Kung Lee. Um, this man was fucking busy, like, in the film world, and actually, like, very shortly after this was when he would make his uh, his UFC debut. But, like, I'm just looking at his filmography right now, and in 2009 alone, he was in fighting with tanning manham that is channing tatum which is not a good film uh i part of me like my conspiratorial brain says that that's an unofficial remake of a a chinese film uh called uh i think it uh, fatal it's like fatal contact i think is the name of it it's a it's a uh a wujing film anyway uh this he also did pandorum this year bodyguards and assassins where he squared off with donnie yen that's kind of a big deal in the martial arts film world. And then... Thank you for putting in the martial arts uh, world at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk don't talk trash about my world, Kyle. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That, that was uncalled It's small, for. but it's fierce. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, he was also in the film adaptation of Tekken, where he portrayed uh, Law, which was kind of a weird choice because Law is, in Tekken, he's supposed to be modeled after Bruce Lee. Yeah. And Kung Lee is not built like Bruce Lee, not even a little bit. He is he to use to use the the kid's favorite word on the internet. He is thick. Like uh, he's a very thick man. I I didn't specify the what gave it away that he was some kind of martial artist or and or stuntman, but I could I realize now when I went to his IMDb profile. What how do you pronounce his name? Kung Lee. Kung as Lee. Far as I know. Kung Lee, okay. So right underneath Kung Lee, it says actor, producer, stunts, and there's a trailer. And I knew as soon as I looked at that trailer, I saw the little thumbnail. I'm like, oh, that's Scott Atkins. And that when I saw Scott Atkins, I'm like, fuck. I didn't, I, that's all I needed. <laughs> I saw Scott Atkins, and I'm like, this guy's a martial artist. Let's see. Yep, there it is. Professional <laughs> MMA stage. I'm like, okay, this, Trevor's going to talk about this guy. <laughs> yeah, actually, Kung Lee is 
probably older than than you might expect. Like he's he's like fifty by now. Like like there's a there's a reason the majority of his fighting career was already behind him by the time he was doing this movie. It was probably he was actively looking for ways to transition out of fighting uh, because he was getting up there in years and whatnot. Um, and as far as I know, he's he's pretty much retired from just any sort of performing or combat sports or anything. He might be a trainer these days, but the movie in question uh, that, that Kyle had brought up featuring Scott Atkins was a Savage Dog uh, from 2017, I want to say. Um, it's, a, it's a decent movie. Uh, it's not one of Scott Atkins's best, but it's, uh, it's directed by Jesse V. Johnson. Uh, and uh, Scott Atkins and Jesse V. Johnson have kind of like a Scorsese and Leo DiCaprio kind of relationship thing going. Where it's like Scott Adkins is his muse. Like he's in all of his movies and whatnot. And that was a decent one of theirs. It wasn't one of the best, um, but it did have a pretty solid cast of performers. So Kung Lee gets to put that on his resume as well. He has thrown hands with some of the best of a generation. Uh, like Andy Ohn, Scott Adkins, Donnie Yen, um, I guess John Fu. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd call him the best of a generation. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, when I popped... I had a little pop when I saw Kung Lee. I, 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 I popped for the cheap heat of seeing a martial artist on film in a sci-fi horror film. <laughs> I, I get the same way when Oliver Platt or uh, the the friend from the Burbs, the you know the fat guy from the Burbs, and he's in when he pops up in the movie, I'm like, oh fuck yes! I didn't know he was in here. Well, it's so funny seeing that guy in Die Hard because he's he's like the he's the dwp guy or whatever yeah. and he's like turning off the power grid and it's his, his accent yeah. it's like you're you're not from la <laughs> what are you doing here he's a very noticeable voice because he plays the bad monster in little monsters because you re- you can hear it in his voice i'm like oh that's that's that guy i can't yeah, remember his was name. he the one in uh in blank check yeah he's, he's the limo driver in blank check he he is such an endearing personality he mm-hmm. is, i think it's i think the accent actually it helps him just seem cooler. By the way, I just looked him up. It's a Rick Ducumun, Ducumun, and he is Canadian. Was uh, yeah. was Canadian. It yes. was Canadian. Oh, yes, yeah. That's unfortunate. From uh, that's Saskatchewan. Unfortunate. <laughs> oh, I thought he died oh, yeah, way he earlier mixed. than that, but no, he he only died in 2015. That means yeah. there's more. That means there's more out there. It's like we need another fat Canadian. <laughs> like the world needs one active at any given time in order to sustain itself. Well, unfortunately, he stopped acting. He stopped doing stuff about ten years uh, before he died. Unfortunately, huh? Well, well. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll I'll say, pivoting off of the the uh, the Kung Lee episode, the Kung Lee chapter of the episode. Um, I think it. I think it's fascinating that he he was in this, and then in two thousand and nine, the UFC and mixed martial arts were kind of coming into like coming into their own. Like it was becoming mainstream. Two thousand nine was a very big year for that particular sport, and more more specifically that organization. Uh, so I want to say that like the reason why I was seeing commercials for for this movie when I was in college was probably it probably had a lot to do with the TV networks that were on in our common area in the dorms and it it, it was either TNN or Spike and I, I believe those were the same thing at one point yeah. um, so yes this was definitely catering to a certain crowd and in fact the the movie is edited with a certain energy that is testosterone and monster energy drink fueled uh, I want to say 
Um, but one other uh, little trivia factoid that I'd like to toss out there for for this time period in uh, in cinematic history for oh, this corner of cinematic history is um, Dead Space, uh, the video game Dead Space. As far as I know, came out like a year before this movie, um, and I don't know if there were ever plans to adapt that to film. I know we talked about that um, on our review of Underwater uh, from, what, 2020? That was a fun watch. That was a fun watch, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I enjoyed that. Uh, It's a shame that it got delayed as long as it did, because I I did enjoy that for the most part. But, like, I I can't help but think of a lot of other things when I watch this movie. There's a lot of subtle inspirations here and there that uh, pop up from time to time, and uh, one of them is dead space to a certain extent although a dead space movie would probably uh be more actively interested in trying to spook you trying mm-hmm. try to it would be jump put scares. you on your yeah it would be a lot of loud noises and metal grating sounds and and scary shit whereas this movie maybe one of its biggest liabilities is that it's not quite sure what it, in terms of energy and and appeal it's not quite sure what it's trying to do Mm-hmm. Like it's it's never really an action movie or a horror movie or a sci-fi movie. It, it's trying to be all at once, and as a result, you're just kind of passive while you're watching it, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate. But anyway, uh, we've been talking for quite a while already, Kyle. Uh, would you care to give us a plot summary for for this fucking movie featuring Kung Lee uh, in five minutes of it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we have uh, I. I guess it's, I don't know what to call these kinds of vessels, but it is something that comes up like an alien covenant, um, where we have a spaceship that's taking the remainder of Earth to go and live on, like, to go colonize a new planet. That's what we have in this case. A um, couple of our, our boys wake up way after they're supposed to be awake, or they're trying to figure out when they're awake, um, and looking for the rest of the crew, uh, there are a bunch of whatever these things are i'm not sure what to call them they're monsters of some kind monsters have taken over the ship and we have to get to the reactor and people get disemboweled that's the merry mishaps ensue <laughs> <laughs> yeah well well said for the most part uh the movie is framed as a little bit of a mystery yeah uh, for a, for a good solid chunk of it and that that's all chalked up to the fact that um our principal cast is comprised of people who are suffering from memory loss, uh, mm-hmm. hypersleep induced memory loss. So basically in this situation we have hypersleep like we've seen in a million other sci-fi movies, but in this case one of the symptoms of waking up from it apparently is that it robs you of uh some memories but not all. Mm-hmm. So in the case of a lot of our characters they they remember skills like like learned skills and abilities and whatnot. So like if you were a scientist you you can still be a scientist. But like interpersonal details, like relationships and names and faces, are are just gone, yeah. um, and they're to be recovered uh, when it's convenient for the the drama of of the plot. Um, but anyway, our our film, of course, opens with the lovely Constantine Films logo, mm-hmm. which, as as I said, uh, kind of tipped Kyle and I off as to what to expect. I was like, I have a feeling this is gonna feel like a Paul W S Anderson movie. But it's not a Paul W.S. Anderson movie, so it's probably going to be considerably less interesting. Which, you know, he's not exactly an amazing filmmaker, if you ask me. But for the most part, he he knows how to make a fucking film. He's got a flavor. Um, he, he has a flavor. Yeah, he, you either he does go, have a flavor. If you, go, you can go in for it or you don't, but he does have a flavor. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And actually, I, I, in its own way, I think that's a praiseworthy trait uh, mm-hmm. to have. Like it, one of those one of the appeals of an artist is is your familiarity with their oeuvre. It's yeah. like if they have a thing and you happen to like that thing or you want occasional samplings of that thing, it's it's comforting to know that you can just reach out and grab one of their films off the shelf and get a little bit of that. But it's the Brett Ratners of the world that I, I just have no time for where it's like what what is brett ratner what tell is... me <laughs> brett ratner why does this sound so familiar brett rush hour uh tower heist oh oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man yeah, it's, it's just it's just vanilla cinema it's just like it's a movie i don't i really couldn't tell you anything about the person who made it I love Anthony Hopkins, and I love the Hannibal Lecter character. I love Silence of the Lambs. I love Hannibal just as much. Those are two different films, two different directors, but still love the character. I've seen Red Dragon one time, I believe, maybe twice. And it's not one I really want to revisit, although it has probably one of my favorite sequences in a film with uh, Ray Fiennes and, uh, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that scene is great. But yeah, he just his aesthetic like his his style i'm just i it's not my it's not my cup of tea yeah it, he, he just doesn't really have much of one is what i'm getting at yeah um which you know directing a film isn't it doesn't have to be high art it is it is a job title it's a profession like yeah. sometimes you sometimes you need those people just to get the fucking film done on time and on budget is something that every producer loves and if if you can deliver that you can get hired <laughs> Okay, so uh, this movie's not that great, and I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time really talking about the film, so this is more or less going to be jumping off points for other discussions, I feel. But yeah. I, want, I wanted to get your opinion on this. What happened to Nick Cassavetes? Because after watching Alpha Dog, and he did Notebook, I'm like, I don't see a lot of like other interesting titles on his, on his, direct, on his directing credits, you know? Uh, he's not a personality that I've ever gone out of my way to follow. Uh, to me, he was always just uh, the bald Moby-looking guy from Face Off. Yeah, um, and that was kind of it. Like yeah. I knew, I knew about his parentage. Like I knew about his dad, of course. But um, I'm looking at his filmography. Apparently, he was uncredited in Blow. Um, he's in The Hangover Part Two, which I haven't seen. Oh, he does have a funny little bit in Hangover Two. I don't doubt that. A lot of people have that going for them in those movies. I meant, I meant him as a, as a director, not necessarily an actor. Oh. I'm saying, uh, like, well, like he did John Q, which was well-received. That was a very popular Denzel Washington movie. The Notebook was a huge hit. Alpha Dog was, like, looking back at him, like, that was really competently put together. Like, it actually flows really well. And it does jump all over the place. But, I'm like, he's a totally capable director. And I'm like, I'm just surprised he doesn't have more as a director. Yeah, it looks like pretty much after Alpha Dog, he uh, spiraled off into doing uh, very, very different films that probably didn't probably didn't do so hot at the box office. Mm. Um, My Sister's Keeper, Yellow, and The Other Woman. And just looking at the cover art for all three of those, I can tell you right now, they're probably not amazing. Yeah. but you're absolutely right, John Q. I didn't know that he did that, but um, I actually quite like that movie. Um, and as far as I know, it, it did quite well. 
and then the notebook is a juggernaut uh, of its of its genre yeah um not not a film that i've seen personally but a lot of people in relationships have seen the notebook at one time at one time or another um and uh alpha dog i thought was fine i didn't think it was bad at all Uh, so yeah i don't have an answer for you there Mm. i mean it doesn't look like uh he transitioned into like a different kind of role in the film industry because his acting and his writing credits aren't exactly super packed after that either so maybe i don't know maybe he just got tired like he's he's 62 like he's put in his time he's done good work also living up to your like living up to the status of what your father had accomplished like most of john cast a lot of john cassavetti's movies are in the criterion collection and they don't put those on there on accident so maybe there's that aspect to it too sorry i was just i i it popped in my head today and i wanted to ask you about it because i was just like hmm well, it does look like uh, that movie Yellow was uh, co-written with his wife at the time, hmm. and they are no longer together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the last thing I'll say about that. So maybe, maybe the divorce took some took some of his uh, passion away or something. I was listening to a review of the Last Boy Scout, and they were talking about how Shane, Bla- I believe Shane Black wrote that, and I believe he was going through a divorce at the time. And they're like, oh, you can tell. <laughs> I mean, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It's like he's he is purging some demons. <laughs> it's like he, this is an angry Spielberg. <laughs> he's not doing this for the kids. <laughs> yeah, he's ripping hearts out. Uh... <laughs> no, he's he's doing an entire movie so he can hang out with Kate Capshaw. Is what he's doing. <laughs> Reap. Uh, that's not fair. That's 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 fine. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld's the creep. Um, yeah. So in the year's twenty one seventy four. And apparently the population has just been, it was around the time that we went to the moon, it was, eh, it was, it was reasonable. And then like, like in the late, late 2000s, it's like, we, we like tripled that shit. And then like a few years before this, it's like, we've got like 20 billion people on planet earth. It is unsustainable. So it's like 2174, like we're getting the fuck out of here. what do you think about this spaceship? I thought it looked really good. I thought it looked fantastic, actually. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of shocking how good it looks. I know. Uh, because I, I can't tell if it's if it's CGI or if it's a miniature that has a lot of airbrushing going on it. Um, regardless of how the effect was achieved, uh, the model of it looks fantastic. It's lit well. Um, the, the way the camera maneuvers around it, it shows a lot of promise in the early goings of the film. Then we hard cut to the <laughs> then interior we get sets. To, then we get to the movie. <laughs> yeah, then we get to the interior sets where we spend, you know, the remaining 99% of the film. Yeah. And it's like, oh, they didn't have much money. Mm. Like, this was this was financed with German money, not Hollywood money. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a different scale, motherfucker. Because, yeah, yeah uh, these are some plywood fucking sets that are meant to evoke the sense of being on an expensive interstellar spacecraft it's like no that that is particle board spray painted it's sci- <laughs> it's it's sci-fi channel level yeah for sure actually i think, it, sci-fi, yeah. I say, I think sci-fi channel had more money uh I, I mean there are certainly some sci-fi channel movies that probably had comparable budgets to this one it's it's unfortunate because that that exterior shot of the spacecraft that we begin with is it's tremendous it looks fantastic um, and then very shortly thereafter, the first fucking set we get to take a look at is like, oh, no, Th- this was paid for by Paul W.S. Anderson. 
but he didn't bring his production designers with him because that's one thing that a lot of his better movies have like the aforementioned flavor that kyle had had brought up is a lot of times his production design his sets his costuming his props are very very good um and he he values that like being able to set up his lighting rigs and and his camera movement and whatnot like it calls for having an extensive well well contoured soundstage like we saw in aliens vs predator um and event horizon um and some of the resident evil movies the ones that didn't that weren't shot entirely on green screens <laughs> um, but this one it's like oh we didn't bring we didn't bring the a team uh it's very unfortunate but yeah uh we get this this awesome shot uh, again i'm not positive if it was cgi or if it was miniature of this interstellar arc uh, is i guess what you would call it because this is this is meant to be like a a colony craft of sorts it um, looks better than i'm sorry it looks better than the expanse and the expanse looks great for what it is it's a sci-fi show that went to amazon and it looks good but this yeah i, I, I sorry i'm spending so much time on the, on the spacecraft but i perked up and i was really impressed by it well kyle likes space oh i love known that that was that, that was my second part i was like i love space and i love these types of movies i do not like this movie as a space movie like it because it doesn't feel like a spaceship it, it doesn't have that like compressed like that claustrophobic feeling of being in a ship well it's kind of fascinating actually like this seems like as good a time as any to get into it because i really don't have a whole lot to to offer in terms of like behind the scenes details or anything like that but one thing that you can readily find on the, on the film's wikipedia page is that um travis malloy uh who i looked him up on imdb he he has virtually every credit you can imagine listed so he's done he's done like stunt work writing producing acting everything none of it for films that you and i would know off the top of our head but the point is he's he's part of the film industry to some degree um but apparently he wrote this in the 90s oh um and it was originally set on a prison ship after watching Um, event horizon i'm guessing (laughs) i i wouldn't be surprised at all or alien 3 or something like that yeah um but apparently it was the script was merged with another one mm. uh, that i think had that had the uh the colony ship plot or premise uh, embedded in it so this is kind of frankenstein's monster in terms of the way the script was assembled so i think that explains away some of the disparate ideas that are being tossed around here because you're absolutely right like i feel like i feel like i would have preferred this being on like on like a terrestrial like I don't know, facility or, or like a colony somewhere as opposed to a, a, a spacecraft or something because it really doesn't carry that vibe to it. Um, anyway, um, the the camera floats around the spacecraft and the first the first characters we get to see are uh, people wearing uh, flight yeah. suits uh, what, on what appears to be the bridge of the spacecraft it's, and they're receiving a transmission. It's the Galaxy Quest suits. That's what I was thinking when they were sitting there. It looks like the Galaxy Quest suits. Yeah, it, it totally is. It's just like a darker shade of the Galaxy Quest suits. Maybe like a little bit of the, the uh, Lost in Space, like the, the what, oh, yes. 2000s version of that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we see there's like two or three people on the bridge here, and they're receiving a transmission from presumably Earth, uh, informing them that they're the, ol- they're the last ones. You people are the last people. Good luck and Godspeed. Uh slow zoom in on never back down looking into the camera and looking creepy 
Yeah. <laughs> Followed by the title Pandorum. And then we get to hang out with a ghost lady for a little bit um, yeah. who has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. None whatsoever. <laughs> None whatsoever. Nothing. Um, basically, it's just a, a really hot lady uh, bathed in white light mouthing I love you into the camera. Mm-hmm. This will happen on occasion, but as I said, adds up to nothing. nothing. It amounts to absolutely nothing other than giving Ben Foster free license to, to bang a stranger. Yeah. Uh, by the by the time we get to the end credits. Yeah, so it is like, no strings attached. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, she's she's dead, bro. It's cool. Uh she would have like, she, no, she's dead. She's been dead, man. She's been dead. No, no, we had a we had an open thing. Um no. <laughs> but uh I like him getting him waking up. I think they you, you don't get much physical Ben Foster in this, but this is this is what little bit we get. Yeah, this this is what I was hoping there'd be more of because yes, him waking up from hypersleep and, and hyperventilating with oh. like a scuba mask on his face and smashing his head against a tube is that's what Ben Foster's great at. Like, like him spazzing out and throwing a tantrum is he's great at it. Let get, him do more of that. Get him in an alien movie. I think he's probably too old now. Like if he had been this age in like Prometheus or like alien covenant with that spastic craziness, like he could have, he would definitely have a xenomorph in his, in his tummy. Oh yeah, well, uh, Leland Orser from uh, Alien Resurrection. Mm-hmm. He could totally fill in for Leland any day. Oh yeah, easily, e- easily. Uh, I would love to see Ben Foster in an Alien movie. I think he, I think he'd tear it up, man. Anybody out there, get hit up Ridley Scott however you can. I know that they're trying. I think they're trying to get a third uh, prequel, another one of those prequels to the Alien film. Get Ben Foster in there. It's funny. Off the top of my head, I can't think of that many interest, like instances where Ben Foster was uh, called upon to like act terrified. Um, but the only example that comes to mind is The Punisher. Uh, oh, yeah. Where he's getting his piercings torn out, and he's he shows vulnerability, and it's very, very, very convincing. In mm-hmm. fact, it's like unnervingly convincing in this like dumb comic book movie. It's like, oh shit, he's actually acting. Yeah. Nobody asked him to, but he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> the movie stops for some torture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it totally fucking does. Yeah. But but imagine him doing that sort of thing with like a, a nasty xenomorph on his ass. Also, because preceding that, we have the the uh, the sw- the Swede. I think they call him the Swede, beating the shit out of uh, Frank Cross. It like the really comedic <laughs> Kevin Nash just throwing him all over the place. I need to I need to rewind that. <laughs> it's the Russian. The Russian. There we go. And it's Frank Castle. Did I say Frank Cross? <laughs> you did. From uh, fucking Scrooged. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So someone in that's class. Why, that's why. That's why you're on the show, Kyle. Somebody that was beautiful. Somebody. Somebody had a Freudian slip today in class, and they were trying to say Omnicore or Omna, uh, like Omni, Omnicore. I think is what it was. And they're like <laughs> Omnicron, and uh, we, we, it was just so subtle. We're all like, huh? And and he caught himself. He's like, I meant Omnicore or whatever it is. And everybody in the class got a good laugh out of it because it was yeah, like it's not a Freudian slip, but Omni Omnicron. Uh, um, like my favorite is a uh, Stanima instead of Stamina. Dude, I listen to your mom. <laughs> I listen to your mom's house, and they say it wrong on purpose. And I've started saying it wrong on purpose to the point where I've said it wrong on accident in front of somebody I did not want to say it wrong in front of. Like, Om- Omnicrom. Omnicrom. <laughs> do you say Omnicrom? Actually, I do. You got st- you got to graduate up to stan- Stanima. Stanima. 
Stand <laughs> the other one I do is irregardless. That's another one I've dropped. Oh, before. Yeah. No, you got you got to be careful with that one. People yeah. will think less of you if you do that. I know. One. I know. I, I o- get- Omnicrom, it's like you can laugh that off, but irregardless, it's like, yeah. I think he's dumb. Because well, <laughs> dudes on The Sopranos say it that way, too. And I'm like, oh, they don't realize they're saying it wrong. <laughs> anyway (laughs) anyway it's kind of funny because this whole time we've been talking folks i've actually had the movie on in the background not a fucking thing has happened yeah yeah. like ben foster's still in his underwear trying to open a door yeah we'll, (laughs) we'll have to do the highlights uh moving forward for sure yeah yeah so basically Ben Foster, who is playing a character named Bauer. Mm-hmm. So if I say Bauer, I'm talking about Ben Foster. Um, he uh, he awakens from hypersleep in in a tube, as you do. Uh, it's not a friendly tube. Um, he's like covered in IVs um, and some sort of like fleshy like coating. Yeah, like he has he has like a skin suit on on him. Yeah, um, I feel like there's moisture in there, and I don't think that you want your body in a tube of moisture for six. Spoiler alert, 600, like six or 700 years. Uh, actually, I think it's like 900 years or some shit. It, it's several hundred years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like the, the, the tube is like frosted over. So he was quite literally frozen, like cryogenically frozen. Um, and there's some neat filmmaking stuff here where like, um, I like that bit where he's banging around in the tube and they cut yeah. to the exterior of it and the, the sound is dampened. It's a nice little bit, especially because of the physicality of his performance. Uh, silence. Did you notice this? When the movie's starting and the credits are coming on, there's no music. It's absolutely silent outside. And I'm wondering if that was on purpose because there's no sound in space. Like, you can't hear. There's no sound. I wouldn't be surprised because the the space element of the movie is very subdued. Like, we don't spend a whole lot of time in outer space uh, in the movie. Um, so, you know, it's like one of those subtle little details. It's like, yeah, why not Why not toss that in there? It's like, yeah. um, I didn't watch it myself, but I know um, Battlestar Galactica, the, the sci-fi channel show, got some, was applauded somewhat for, they didn't fully mute uh, the space sequences in that but they dampen the sound significantly as just like a, a subtle nod to the fact that it's like, we know all the people out there who know better would notice that. So we're, we're trying to placate you while still making it, you know, entertaining. <laughs> yeah. He's waking up like Walt Disney's going to someday uh, out of, uh, out of cryo sleep. And uh, he manages, <laughs> he manages to get out. <laughs> yes, he does manage to get out. Um, but he also has no place else to go. Uh, he's kind of stuck in the room that he woke up in. Um, and he were introduced to the idea of the, the memory loss here where he's kind of rifling around in some lockers and he notices like, oh, my name's Bauer. Like he has a tattoo on his forearm, which plays into the plot later, which, uh, we, he learns at one point, like it refers to, um, his, his role on the spacecraft mm-hmm. and it's like his identity basically. Um, then he like suits up and whatnot. Uh, he notices that his hands are shaking, um, and he finds a photo of the uh, spectral "I love you, lady" that we saw a few moments earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see him just kind of like pacing around, um, and he starts to freak out a little bit because it's actually kind of pathetic. Like, um, I think he mentions at one point in dialogue that like he actually was only trapped in that room for like an hour or something before he started completely losing his shit. 
It's like, I mean, I guess you wake up in a strange place. It doesn't take that long to totally lose your shit. But it's like, the way it was edited, I thought it was considerably longer than that. But he's, he's he goes nuts to the point that he picks up a pipe and starts wailing on one of the other tubes because he's trying to wake someone else up. Yeah, it's DQ. Uh, DQ is uh, Lieutenant Peyton, and he's in the other tube. Yeah, he's trying to wake... He's trying to wake Lieutenant Peyton because he needs some answers. He's got some explaining to do. Um, he busts out a laser razor. That's fun to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I wrote in my notes, like, he should have kept the beard. Uh, he looked way better with it. Um, but no, he shaves because we need a clean, we need a shorn Ben Foster to headline this film. See, I actually prefer shorn, uh, shorn Ben Foster myself. Yeah, He's too pointy. Yeah, like, so- at, at this stage in his career, he's too pointy. <laughs> I, see, I think because he's he's uh, he's wiry, and I just don't, I don't feel like beard goes well with wiry like that. He doesn't have a huge like McGregor's wiry, but he's got a giant fucking head, so it, it, the beard he, he works. He really does. Yeah, he's got a huge head. Uh, that's why now, I can Kyle, take. You have a really good sense for pointing out who has giant heads. <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's it's my gift. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Emil Hirsch last week, and then now Ben Foster. No, Conor McGregor. I mean, I was comparing. I'm like a guy with a bigger head that's got the beard. It works, but like you're absolutely right though. Conor McGregor, for his proportions, has a pretty gigantic melon. Yeah, (laughs) but I like Ben Foster's like more my proportions, wiry with a like a more narrow head. I'm like beard just does like because beards fluff out a little bit, and it just it doesn't fit very well. Okay, well, the the debate rages on. Uh, Shorn Ben <laughs> I will Foster. I'm die on this hill. <laughs> it's like podcast over. Done. <laughs> uh, there is no agree to disagree on this topic. <laughs> um, but uh, the entire ship starts rumbling, um, mm-hmm. and the lights start flickering. And uh, his only reaction to this is just to like sit down and pray. Basically, like mm-hmm. he's not verbalizing anything, but it's just like. The entire his entire existence, the Earth basically is shaking beneath his feet. What do you do? Yeah. Um. And sure enough, uh, it seems to be like a power surge of some sort, and Lieutenant Peyton's tube opens up and mm-hmm. out spits uh, Dennis Quaid. It transcends time. It's bigger than space. DQ. Uh, yep. In the same state as uh as Ben Foster was in, um. And the two of them share mutual memory loss. At this point, my notes read Resident Evil question mark. Because um, as yeah. you'll recall, the plot of the very first Resident Evil film, bro, that's the beginning of like every this. <laughs> the beginning of like every Resident Evil movie is that They're like, oh wait, who am I again? It's her, the whole thing is her trying to figure out who she is. Yeah, and they started doing that like Saw movie shit where they started like kind of dovetailing the ending oh, sequence yeah. of the previous film and like like kind of retconning it into whatever horseshit was convenient for the next film or whatever. Bro, and then it, we have that my name is Alice monologue in every fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, that doesn't go away. They keep doing that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we got um, memory loss uh, he reads about was from like extended hypersleep. Um, and then there's Dennis Quaid uh, gets, he finds the backup generator. He's just like, oh yeah, you just gotta hand crank this bitch, and it'll it'll get going, no problem. I like, was like, so what? In, in, in the year twenty two hundred, we're still operating generators via hand crank. Dude, <laughs> this ship is fucking enormous. Like, it's huge. Its proportions are enormous, and this one little hand crank, it's. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, man. The clown. Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I have to point out here um, is extended hypersleep 
what is uh what does ben foster get dq for his breakfast the very first thing that we see him consume on screen a cup of coffee Dude, you've been asleep for what they think is eight years. They think they've been asleep for eight years. They do the math. I'm like, you need you need some water. You need some tang. You need some water, and you need some carbs. Like you need some food in there before you go empty gut cup of coffee. Yeah, go fetch the Pedialyte, sir. Like, yes. No, no, you don't need acid in your stomach right now. That's been <laughs> empty for five hundred fucking years. It's gonna put a <laughs> hole in your stomach. <laughs> Seriously, man, you're absolutely right. I didn't notice that. <laughs> and maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they had a granola bar, but I needed a scene of him just like wolfing it down, just like just getting it. Or, in yeah, there. just like a, a foil wrapped MRE or something. That's all. Just a pop, a pop tart. <laughs> anything <laughs> uh it is important to note that there is another canister another little cryo sleep thing uh with the name cooper and it's empty uh suggesting that cooper is not in there obviously uh film language trevor show don't tell um <laughs> uh be- before we move the f- uh, the 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 story forward i have to pee because i slammed this LaCroix way too fast Yeah, so Cooper is missing, apparently. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, one thing that we are hurriedly glossing over, because there is, there is no way that we could parse this, is um, the jargon. Mm. The, the sci-fi, just like, blah, 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 blah. The, the Star Trek talk in this movie is out of control in this, in this phase of the narrative, anyway. Um, I don't understand anything that Away is saying, but the, the confidence of the delivery is meant to inform you that it doesn't fucking matter. Uh, I wanted to talk with your girlfriend about this because I know she's an Expanse fan. One, does yes. she have any idea what the fuck they're saying in that? Everybody is a fucking engine, like a theoretical physicist and engineer on that series. And also, I want to know if she's finished through the new season. So she's she's watched the whole show. Um, but her brother's a physicist and she has a medical background so that that stuff probably is more digestible for okay her. um but yeah she's she's up on the lingo okay. i've i've i sat in on a couple of episodes before she completely binged all of it so mm. um i i managed to get a handle on a lot of it but it didn't seem like it was too out of sorts remember kyle i watched gundam Nobody has any fucking clue what, what's happening in Gundam or why, for that matter. It's well, about it's just the robots. It's about selling toys at the well, end of the day. Well, the show is known for being pretty scientifically accurate, and then as the last two seasons, we start ramping up the battles, and they're like trying to like project and see where everybody's going to be. So it starts to get kind of out there with what they're talking about, which is why it I was can't asking. be any worse than like Interstellar, where they're talking about time and distance and all that shit dude it's like oh you, you touch your your feet touch the surface and we lost 10 years oh well <laughs> dude i sh- we smoked a fat bowl and watched that on like a 70 inch tv uh so i have no idea what a word was said in that movie but i had a fantastic time <laughs> oh i'm sure as a audio visual experience it has a lot going for it we had a great sound system in there too um awesome awesome uh, but yeah, but we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to take matters into our own hands. Like we're gonna we gotta get out of this compartment. It does look like somebody has tried to get through the main door, and I believe the bridge is on the other side of this door. Yeah, uh, Peyton seems to he like access as a 
some sort of schematic and he surmises that the bridge is actually on the other side of the door uh only problem is the power surges are making it uh, incapable of opening at this moment and uh, his dumbass can't hotwire it although he does try a couple of times mm-hmm. um so the mission at this point is one to escape this room and two uh to restore power to the to the spacecraft um so uh, step one is just getting out um and uh peyton's too lazy and he's got he's got so many cups of coffee he's got a pound before he's fully awake so he sends bauer up into the vents yeah. uh while peyton plays the man in the chair and talks to him on the radio yes yeah, this, um, this is a earpiece this is a terrible time to be wiry dude because i do not want to be up in this shit shit yeah. Um, but yeah, in this case, we only got one wiry fella, and it certainly isn't DQ and the Sharks. No. Um, so Bauer's got to head up into the vents. Um, and by the way, at this point, Bauer is revealed to be likely an engineer, because mm-hmm. he seems to know an awful lot about how the the reactor for the spacecraft functions. Spacecraft is called Elysium, by the way. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's at this point that I, I couldn't help but think of Rambo 3, uh, because uh, we have these... Uh, light tubes the kind that you crack in the middle they're the the chemical lights basically yeah in this case i think they're uh, i think they're they start out green but the ones he has here are blue i couldn't help but think of the classic scene in rambo 3 where he's asked by one of the afghani troops like what is this what does it do and he's like it's a blue light he's like what does it do he's like, it turns blue <laughs> it's like yeah that's a pretty good line rambo anyway uh power goes out and uh we get a really cool claustrophobia sequence mm-hmm. uh nowhere near on par with the descent which oh. if memory serves came out probably before this movie a far superior film fantastic um, film that, it's a really well put together film mm-hmm. uh, i i saw that one in the theater um, oh, that that's, was, a, that's that was, a good place to see that i was legitimately uh uncomfortable at a couple of moments in that film. And it, it's actually kind of funny because it had very little to do with the monsters. It was just a couple of scenes like of harrowing, like, I don't know, death-defying stuff where somebody's stuck in a narrow passage or somebody's hanging off of a cliffside or something like that. Something that um, always gets me is uh, something that is humanoid but not acting like a human, and I can't see it, but I know it's coming towards me. That's that's something that gets me in that, in that movie. That's the, oh, fuck! Like... I watched that on like a sunny afternoon, and it was scary. <laughs> no, that's a really well put together movie, uh, it, and uh, this actually made me think of it though, because we yeah. get a really interesting little, it's a brief moment, but it's it's well conceived and well executed. Where Bauer, uh, as we saw, his his hands were shaking after he came out of the tube, and we've already seen he's a little bit unhinged. Like it only took him an hour to pick up a pipe and start swinging it when he was trapped alone for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, we have him trapped up in the vents, and then. Um, in addition to like the met- metallic gratings and whatnot in the vents, there's also like rubberized tubing everywhere. That has a, it's cheap, but it looks kind of neat actually. Like it looks like the arteries and veins of like a giant organism or something, which mm-hmm. the spaceship may as well be. Um, but basically, he's like verbalizing that he's he's trapped and he's uncomfortable, and Peyton's trying to talk him down. And this is his claustrophobia is represented visually by this the rubberized tubing like kind of mashing in on him so it's like that that's not actually happening in reality but it that's how he's perceiving it and it's it's effective like it's a it's a cheap nothing effect but i i was really impressed by that um and it's around this point that he discovers uh he's at an angle and because uh the sweat dropping off of his nose falls very sharply and it's like oh wait 
I think I'm upside down. Oh shit, I am upside down. And then he falls and like basically smashes his face into a metal grate. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he he does take some falls and it does look like each time he he takes these falls he's knocked the wind out of himself. This he's like face like he falls face first into like a metal grate and he's just like smashed on there. And uh DQ is just like Bauer. Bauer. Bauer talk to me. Bauer. <laughs> And I'm like, you could just like, could you just say something to shut him up? Like, he doesn't say anything uh, to him until I think he gets out of the uh, the vent. But he definitely finds Cooper. Yeah, uh, he does find Cooper, but like DQ probably could have woke him up by threatening to sing to him <laughs> in his earpiece. It's just you You're and me, bud. You're so fine. <laughs> You're so fine. Yeah, that'd kill. That'd get. That'd wake his ass up. Um, oh yeah, no, that would get that would that would put some fire under my ass. But um, yeah, uh, Ben Foster does take bumps like a champ in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he he ragdolls himself time and time again in this film. So uh, as is customary with Ben Foster performances, he definitely is trying. But I think from a character standpoint, he maybe I don't know was tasked with just being the the Rock for the movie. Like not not Dwayne the Rock Johnson the Rock, but like just like. A foundational element where it's like you're the leonardo of the ninja turtles mm-hmm. you're not here for your personality you're here to be quote the leader mm-hmm. so be the leader don't be impressive in terms of your personality but um he finds a mummified corpse of lieutenant cooper in yeah. the vents um and he discover he takes another tumble and he discovers he's in like a footlocker like suspended high above the ground and so he takes another bump here um, and it's around here where uh, we're introduced to some long metal corridors that will serve as, I guess, our home for the next 80% of the movie. Yeah. Uh, it's basically the same set, probably recycled and, and angled and lit differently to, to give the impression of size. To the point where it felt like he was going in circles. So, because you know there's like there's something wrong with the ship, clearly. And unfortunately, because, it, yeah, it's basically just the same corridor, the same hallway. It's like... Is he going crazy? Is there something weird with the ship? It's like, oh no, they're just reshooting the same thing. That was actually a thread that I was hoping they might explore a little bit more. <clears throat> was him him being unhinged? Because mm-hmm. the the title of the film, spoiler alert, uh, refers to like space dementia, basically like space madness. Yes. If you've ever seen Ren and Stimpy. Um, and him having the shaking hand situation and some of the visions he has of the, the spectral woman, uh, things like, and, and the episode in the vents, we get occasional bits of that, and we get a really big one at the very end of the movie, which leaves me curious, like, is he okay? Because, mm. like, I know the movie's telling me he's okay, but the last thing he did before everything was all hunky-dory, he wasn't okay from no. a psychological standpoint. Um, but I was I was hoping we'd, we'd get to play him a little bit more with that like have him be more unreliable i guess but no he's pretty straight throughout the movie which is a little unfortunate but um by the way this this, uh repeating metal corridor that like i said seems to be recycled throughout the entire movie it made me think of uh kingsman Uh, i don't know how well you remember that movie kyle but i I don't remember it i dumped that (laughs) shit quick wow did you finish it that's with uh, the little shit and uh, Taron Egerton. Yeah, I watched both of those, uh, two of them, uh, not the new one. I'm not watching the new one, um, but yeah, I don't remember a, a minute of those movies. Okay, well, I I don't either for the most part. Like they're not especially memorable to 
to me. I haven't heard the second one's very good, but I've seen some clips of the stunt work and actually was enough that makes me kind of want to try it. Julianne, um, Moore, also, Julianne Moore plays a, a, a cannibal. Oh, yeah, I didn't know about that. Um, Do I think th- Pedro Pascal has a interesting... He has like a fun stunt performance in that one, as far as I could tell. Yeah, you, you, you let me know. Yeah, and the third one has the novelty factor of getting to see uh, Risa Fons and uh, Ray Fiennes do do martial arts, and I I've always said it like I I do like watching people who don't normally do those things try to do those things, mm. and I do like Ray Fiennes, so it's like I don't have any attachment to this franchise whatsoever, but it does seem to offer a few things that I in particular might be interested in, so I might actually try that one. Um, anyway. Uh, that first Kingsman movie drove me nuts with the 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 finale. It's it's literally Taron Egerton running up like up and down a, a long corridor that's recycled over and over and over again. Uh, and and he's doing action stuff all all along the way, but it's like super obvious that it's like we only had this one set and we didn't think we didn't storyboard it well enough to to have him do anything other than run literally back and forth down the same hallway it's it's maddening um anyway um his radio goes out and uh, he comes across our alice for the film uh and she's trying to pry open a door and he also discovers an eviscerated corpse which he thought was her but it was shrouded in in darkness so when he rounds the corner it's like oh wait you're not a hot woman you're a dead person with their guts hanging out um and (laughs) she jumps him kyle uh, oh, she yeah. gets the drop on him, and she capoeiras him. Like, not she can't just jump him. She can't just like double leg him. She has to like do some. She has to get on her hands. She has to break dance fight him. It's that came out of nowhere. That was very unexpected, but sure, it's very fitting for the time period of this film's release. Um, and she informs him she wants to take his shoes. By the way, mm-hmm. uh, she well, puts a knife. She puts a blade to his throat and says, "Give me your shoes." <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that was... She said, take off your shoes. I don't know if she's trying yeah. to take his shoes or she's telling him to take his shoes off. Like You could be right on that because she doesn't wear shoes mm-hmm. throughout the entire film. So maybe that is a thing, like, for the spoiler monsters in the film, maybe that's a, a means for them to track him or something. That's what I took it as, but she might have also just been like, John McClane, I need a pair of shoes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but you... You mentioned the uh, person standing in the distance, uh, which was really creepy because it's just out of frame and it's like, what the fuck is this thing? And I, as he started getting closer, I'm like, oh, dude, that person's hanging. That person's hanging. That person's hanging. <laughs> and he seems getting closer. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, that thing's disemboweled. I'm like, okay, okay. I mean, you've got me back in the movie. It's this. This is interesting. Okay, something weird's going on. Yeah, it, it's funny because like guts in American cinema anyway are not something you see all the time. Mm-mm. It's kind of like child death in mainstream American cinema. It's yeah. it's not an everyday thing. So like whenever you see intestines or, or stomachs and whatnot, that's that's not common. Viscera, it's, yeah. it's not common. So I I want to say that this movie was edited edited down somewhat. Mm. I I did read in the Wikipedia article that apparently there's a, a harsher cut of it that's never been released nor nor will it ever because i don't see anyone caring to pay the licensing fees uh, or the processing fees to get that put out um but i noticed like some of the violence is cut too fast Mm -hmm. it's like we're cutting away from things very like very hastily and and case in point this with the 
guts hanging out where it's like i saw that my brain processed it, it but in terms of its actual screen time it's very it's like a couple of frames if that mm-hmm. um but he uh he manages to get up to his feet bauer does and uh, the woman disappears and we get kind of a first like action beat in the movie um where the body that was hanging from the ceiling uh is yanked up into the into the gratings like in the ceiling um and then uh, the soundtrack kicks into high gear and we we hear like these horrible chittering and screaming noises and ben foster takes off running um and we actually get to see our first glimpse of one of the monsters in this film as he's taking refuge in the locker room where he came from um and what did you think of the design for this critter here kyle uh yeah i just haven't written down as gross ass dudes but i do <laughs> i do like the character i do like the creature design i think they're menacing um they're also really fast apparently and very very strong um whatever they are but yeah i like the creature design i don't know what to compare them to though uh they look like rawhead rex uh from the clive barker movie yeah um mixed with any any one of the punkers from uh, that doomsday movie that we did a while back that's true yeah so they look like they belong at a the the prodigy concert um but more a little bit more mad max and with like instead of piercings they have like gigantic metal protrusions spikes. coming out of their backs yeah. yeah spikes yeah um yeah they're they're pretty cool um but this is also where we learned that the wives are on board apparently uh dq has his wife on board yeah, uh, he does. Med- uh, Bauer manages to escape, and uh, he gets back in touch with Peyton, who, of course, we get a nice little uh, attempt at a scare here, where the radio comes back at the most inconvenient of times when Bauer mm-hmm. is hiding in a locker. He does manage to escape, though, because the the monsters that are chasing him favored the dead body over him. Um, but yeah, uh, it's around this time that our our two characters are kind of theorizing that Elysium was on a one way trip. Mm-hmm. It was not meant to return uh, to Earth, uh, which would which had been talked about earlier. But um, we get a flashback where we get to see young Peyton uh, watching like an interstellar probe uh, land on a planet called Tanis. Um, and it's actually kind of a neat sequence because it's just like a child with his parents watching a giant like digital like m- like TV screen basically on their wall projected onto their wall of what like is basically earth discovering life on a on a distant planet it's like an important it's like the equivalent of the moon landing if but greater than that um it's a nice little sequence it's it's well rendered but um yeah that it is understood that like oh wait i think the lady in my head and in the photo is probably on the ship because it wouldn't make sense if we're on a one-way trip for us to go without our families yeah um so the new mission in ben foster's mind is to get presumably his wife or at least someone who is important to him um so they want to get to the bridge um as well as uh rejigger the reactor uh so they can get to the bridge and whatnot and uh this is the first instance of mention of pandorum uh, which as we mentioned earlier is essentially space madness and we get another flashback in the form of something called the eden mission and kyle i thought this was really cool like I really, I really like that. Like this was good visual storytelling because it's it's narrated by DQ by Dennis Quaid, um, but the way it's presented, I thought was really cool. And when you you, know, you take a second to think about what happened, it's like, wow, that is fucked up. Oh, is this the story about the captain shooting everybody off into space? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I wrote this down as the Pandorum story. Um, real quick before we get there, uh, we find riot guns. They're non-lethal, 
and Ben Foster puts one of those on. Just one. He doesn't grab another one. He just grabs one riot gun. Um, but yeah, I, this the way this is set up, he's just like, tell me about the Pandorum story. He's like, why would you bring that up? So how it happened was, he just like goes in and tells the story. Pause. <laughs> well, let me tell you about it anyway. Yeah. Well, I, ain't, I ain't got anything better else to do. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> It's like, tell me about Voldemort. Like, oh, I can't tell you about Voldemort. Anyway, yeah, he just goes on and tells the <laughs> so story. So about Voldemort. So about Voldemort. <laughs> uh, yeah, so apparently this captain, he got, like, the shakes or whatever. And uh, he's just, like, space madness. And I I, I didn't... I just kind of wrote it down as the guy went crazy. I didn't pay attention to the details of the story. Um, do you want to tell the story? It's not all that detailed. Basically, it's just paranoia and delusion spawned by deep space travel or, or just being in a tin can floating in space for too long uh and they refer to it officially as ods syndrome um but they nicknamed it pandorum um but yeah it's just this incident where the captain of a ship had a freak out and basically hit the eject switch on all of the people in cryogenic sleep mm-hmm. all five thousand of them so we get this lovely exterior shot of a spacecraft shooting out like it, it's it's kind of beautiful. It looks like like yeah. a plant spraying out like a, a spray of pollen, but each one of those pollen flakes is a human being in a metal tube. Um, and then we get this really cool moment where one of the pods uh, zips past the camera upside down, and we see that yeah, that person's awake, and they are never getting out of that tube. No, um, it's like you know, it's it's a nightmare. It's like that in terms of like horrible ways to die. That's up there. That's yeah. that's pretty up there. Uh, being awake for that whole process and knowing that like space is pretty big. Like <laughs> no hope for you. You know what, Trevor? <laughs> space is pretty big. You're right. Space is pretty big. You know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically, five thousand people died because someone freaked out and hit a button. Um, anyway, Bauer takes off. He has the riot gun, which is basically some sort of like. I don't know, electrical force gun of some yeah. sort. At least that's what it looks like when it's used. Um, it is used a couple of times. Lethally, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, we see that someone is tailing Bauer, and he finds another booby-trapped body, uh, also hanging from the ceiling via, like, a pulley. Um, this time he has an idea of what that's about, though. It's like, oh, it's meant to lure off those crazy humanoid creatures brandishing the metal poles with... Uh, blow torches affixed to the ends of them i thought that was kind of a cool prop idea um and then we discover that's norman fucking reedus <laughs> it's not just some random guy it's norman fucking reedus and he's alive by the way yeah i i felt maybe because i knew him from blade 2 and boondock saints that i always felt that he was a bigger actor than he actually was but i've come to realize i'm like oh he's kind of not that big a deal at all like he's just no, a dude. If not for Walking Dead, he is just a dude that he, looks kind of like Edward Furlong on a bad day. Yeah. Like AKA Edward Furlong now. <laughs> oh, oh no, Edward <laughs> Edward Furlong has hit a even harder wall. I'll find you a picture. It's bad. Please do cuz I, I I seen him 10 years ago and it was it was rough. Oh god. He he's going to be dead soon. Um <laughs> But yeah. yeah. But aside from Walking Dead and uh Hideo Kojima's um Death Stranding game like to me Norman Reedus he's just that guy yeah he's just that trashy looking guy <laughs> yeah that's pretty accurate um 
but yeah he he's freaking out he's just like oh you're here to save us he's like no i'm i'm the other crew and he's like who the fuck are you is like are you you're getting me out of here like no i'm not getting you out of here and he's just like fuck you're dead dude and he's like i gotta get the fuck out of here and he, he doesn't he's just like hey these things are fast don't let them catch you and fuck off basically yeah and he covers himself with with oil like basically mechanical oil because uh, he says it covers the scent and by the way basically he is here to steven seagal the monsters as in deliver the speech talking up the menace of the monsters like you would do like arlie Aramie does for steven seagal in uh, on deadly ground so he's just like you don't understand man they're quick as lightning they'll tear you in half they'll kill you five times before you hit the ground <laughs> it's like basically he's just doing the steven seagal speech but for the monsters um and he's kind of a prick um understandably so i mean he woke up hung from a ceiling um and he was hoping that this clean-faced individual uh, bauer might have some answers for him he does not um and also he uh norman reedus also has a tattoo on his arm which suggests that he's part of one of the flight crews mm -hmm. but he's from like a later shift because i guess we're supposed to wake up in shifts to tend to the ship yeah um so this is where it's like made clear that like one consistent thing with Bauer's characterization is that he's very much like a straight and narrow kind of by the book type guy. Yeah. So to see to see this, like to see everything in disarray is troubling to him. So well, this is like further evidence that like the rotation was broken, whatever maintenance should be conducted on the ship has not been being done. Well, DQ still has got like tell him about the chain of command. He's got a duty, he's gotta do something. And Ben Foster's like Hey, hey man i know some fucked up shit's happening but remember chain of command he's like what the fuck are you talking about there's no there's no crying in baseball there's no th we're not doing this no, i mean norman rius may as well be saying game over man game over man yeah <laughs> basically <laughs> A affirmative um, but uh we we break out into a chase scene because uh norman Reedus' complaining is interrupted by screams from the monsters in the distance uh, we get a little bit of critter parkour where the monsters are doing the, uh, you know, one thing like I was talking a lot of shit about Brett Ratner earlier, but <laughs> one thing that I, I, I can praise the man for is for uh, casting Kelsey Grammer as Beast from the X-Men in uh, X-Men The Last Stand and uh, asking Kelsey Grammer to wear a blue ape suit and do wire work because that's something I, I, it, I appreciate. I, I appreciate knowing I can go to my grave saying I've seen is Kelsey Grammer wearing a wire harness and a blue gorilla suit, <laughs> and basically that's what these monsters are doing. They're 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 running around. They're like bounding around. Like they're doing like a puma run, um, but wire assisted puma runs. So they're chasing Norman Reedus. Um, really, really supremely awful choppy editing here. It's yeah. like. I, I bet this was really rough for you, Kyle. Like, like I, I watch, I watch a lot of crap, so like I'm used to bad editing. This was like, I bet Kyle's just like rolling his eyes back up into his head and being like, "Fuck." Funny you say that. Uh, I, as you know, am a Lars von Trier fan, and he his style of shooting things is he does like a lot of handheld where he's it, it's a lot of wobbly and it's not really consistent. So. I I guess I've taken the Dramamine to handle these types of scenes, uh, so it it wasn't unwatchable to me, but it's not something I particularly enjoy. Like it's not something that I'm like, oh yeah, I can handle this. It's like I notice it, but I'm like I can get through this. Yeah, in most cases, I write it off as just as symptomatic of of the era. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like there's there's a look, there's a feel that comes with this. Like I'm I'm looking at you, Paul W. S. Anderson's Death Race. Like it's it's edited via chainsaw. It's comes with the territory. You buy into it. If you're expecting it, it's not. It's more digestible. Dude, we were talking Ott's garbage. That's one I've never seen. But <laughs> dude, there's a lot of Ott's garbage, and <laughs> I think we could easily put together an Ott's garbage month. I mean, there's no end to the garbage that came out of the aughts. No shortage of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Norman Reedus is both hung and eviscerated. It's great. I had I had a uh, a um, oh god damn it, Les Grossman. Get him, fucking. Because I still I don't I don't think he got his he got his uh, he I don't think he got his in Blade Two. He got it too easy. He just got blown up. I really really fucking hated him in that movie it's funny because like yeah that his final moments in blade 2 like just like live rent free in my head just because that that fucking overhand he's right such he a slaps, pussy yeah that 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 slap that he hits wesley Ooh. snipes with it's just like ooh, you motherfucker he, you gotta die it's whistler <laughs> he hits whistler with two of them and they're like he hits him with like not the knuckles like the middle knuckles like the the half yeah, of the fingers they're not good punches. No. It actually makes you hate him even more. Oof. It's just like if you if you didn't have Ron Perlman backing you up right now, bud, like you, you wouldn't be able to do that, man. Yeah, yeah this is this but, is yeah. what Scud needed was to be disemboweled. Yeah, yeah, and even even when he does his reveal, like pe- peeling back his lips and like saying, like, "Yeah, I'm one of his familiars." It's just like fuck. You. Yeah, it's also <laughs> his his little swagger in that movie too. You're just like, stop it. Just stop. Yeah, he, he thinks he's such hot shit. But Ugh. you're right. He probably should have gotten it even worse than he did. <laughs> People <laughs> say he you get blown up. Yeah, he gets just just yeah, blown up, exploded. Like, dude, you look like Edward Furlong. So that's not something you, you don't have the swagger. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Nah. But yes, he is hung and eviscerated, and it's around here where we get uh, introduced to. I guess the the monster with the most personality. I was calling him noseless, um, I, yeah. because he has no nose. Yeah. It's it's like necrotic flesh. It's just a pit in the middle of his face, which is rendered very very well, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks his makeup looks fantastic, um, and he does have a cool look to him. But um, the editing was so choppy here that it took me a few seconds to realize what happens here. But Ben Foster attempts to help, like intervene with the riot gun. Um, but the energy just dissipates and the camera pulls back and we see that he's somehow, I don't know how he got here, but somehow he's behind like a glass barrier or something. Mm-hmm. So the monsters can't get to him and he can't get to them and they're eating Norman Reedus so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, anyway, he, he takes a spill. Uh, ben Foster falls. He takes a big long plunge um, and he is saved by Kung Lee uh, who springs in to save the day and like pull him up from a, a ledge. Uh, as well as kick some shit because that's why you hire Kung Lee. He's not much of an actor. He's here to kick things. Dude, their communication at no point do they understand what each other are saying, and nothing, nothing is understood. It's so it's really strange. I don't understand the I don't understand this dynamic. Yeah, it's kind of funny because there's a there's um, that movie Ghost Dog, uh, Way of the Samurai. Mm. Um, wherein there's a running gag where a Forrest Whitaker uh, has a friend who speaks only French in the film, and the two of them have these conversations where they're both speaking and responding in different languages, and yet they seem to be having an actual conversation that e- neither party gets all of. 
Um, but we don't do that here. This is just Kung Lee speaks Vietnamese. Ben Foster tries to do the American thing of talking louder yeah. occasionally. Two snakes but they ne- facing each other. <laughs> <laughs> but they're one. But they're one. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Well, no, do you remember no, the, it, the parts? But it doesn't in, work. They don't understand each other, though. The parts in Conan where they're just doing like the montage and he's just like flexing. Yeah, I, I just yeah, he's going. He's going from village to village. Just flexing. yeah, just flexing. <laughs> he, um, he's just he's threatening to ram jam people is what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he's just, yeah. The nothing gets across. He's just like I'm gonna go by myself, and he's just like, oh okay, and then they just go their separate ways. Yeah, I think the only words that Kung Lee acknowledges is understanding or like ship. Yeah, like he, he knows. Like, yes, ship. we're on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> ship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that Bauer refuses further assistance from him. He's like so rigid and so stuck to that chain of command style thinking, where he's like, "You're part of the agricultural team. You need to go do some fucking farming." While there's like zombie monsters running around eating Norman Reedus's. I'm gonna go. Fi- I'm gonna go restart the engine. <laughs> it, it might be a coping mechanism, uh, just like him trying to just hold on to this chain of command thing. Or like, hey, you, you go do your other thing. I'm I'm staying focused on my mission. I don't want to know any more else, anything else about this world, about what's happening he's on this making, ship. Like as we're talking about him, he's making me think of William Fickner in Armageddon. It's like stick to the mission, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. Like like, but that worked out because William Fickner was kind of a dick in that. Also, Whereas Ben Foster, we're supposed to like a handgun in space. I know. I don't think like, so. I, I mean, credit to the movie, they do actually say exactly that. Yeah, like, that is the reaction. He's like, <laughs> you brought a gun into space. You brought a gun into space. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it was Steve Buscemi. Maybe. No, no, no. I, it's, I forget. Uh, the guy who tortures Ben Foster. Um, in Punisher. Oh, that guy. I, remember the Titans guy. I never remember his name. Um, the guy with the bad hairline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, DQ is just chilling by himself, and he's got a bloody nose. Um, put a pin in that, I guess. He go, uh, Ben Foster finds this sign that says housing unit, and it's a shipping container. And this is this was strange. Uh, it's like a, he goes into a shipping container, and then on the other side, it's like, opens up into all these other shipping containers but i guess it was a trap maybe i don't know exactly what this was supposed to be it's like this is a cheap set but it's bathed in red light so it actually looked and also the concept of just like an entire room jam-packed with shipping containers that double as living spaces is kind of neat like in theory i think it works out pretty well but yeah the the color lighting here had me thinking like ah so our director has seen a Zhang Yimou film at some point or another. Um, but yeah, this scene is all bathed in red. And then uh, Bauer is in a shipping container. Uh, he has uh, round two with our Alice. Uh, they have another capoeira fight, although this turn, this devolves into a wrestling match, essentially. Mm-hmm. He body slams her, by the way, like power slam right onto like a workbench. It's pretty nasty. But then Kung Lee shows up uninvited, but he starts throwing kicks like you do. And uh, he he wins the day, and he kind of gets her to submit. Um, but it's not until Ben uh, Ben Foster fires the riot gun into the air that he's just like, "Enough with yeah. the clown! Like, yeah. shut the fuck up, both of you." I mean, I, I, I was getting frustrated with them. It's like he has a mission here, people. You have to stop fucking around and let him figure this shit out. I'm glad that he stepped up and just like just knocked this shit. Out. He should have blasted him, honestly. Yeah, he's just just cut the shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, lady, 
I don't know what your deal is, but like, look at me. I'm I'm clearly not one of those things. Like, I don't want to eat intestines. They're nasty. They yeah. smell bad. Um, but yeah, I, I noticed her wardrobe around this time where I was like, <laughs> she's Blood Rain. Like, she yeah. looks just like Blood Rain. Yeah. I've even seen that movie and I know exactly. How, yeah. Ex- she's Blood you Rain. know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. The, the Uva Bull film. Which, dude, oh, we've got mentioned. it. It's all here. We've got the aughts garbage, dude. It's right there. It might. That might. That might have to happen, Kyle. I don't want to garbage. I don't want to go back and watch Smoking Aces, but because you haven't seen it, I kind of. I have. Oh, you have. And I, and I really didn't care much for it. I thought it was. I thought it had a lot of promise, and it delivered on absolutely none of it. Never mind then. I, and I, it's it it has the the fatal flaw of thinking it's cooler mm-hmm. than it is. Which the aughts that that may as well be the aughts actually is like a lot of a lot of things that thought they were way cooler and more stylish than they actually are. They actually make Chris Pine unfuckable in that movie. Like, you forget he's in you, that. You you got to try real hard to do that. I mean, do you, do you you need to understand like the nickname between the girlfriend and I for Chris Pine? All I have to say is them eyes. Them eyes. And she she knows exactly who I'm talking about. I thought you were going to say your hall pass, but I know your hall pass isn't Chris Pine. Uh. No, it's Scott Atkins. Scott Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, the reason I gasped so audibly uh, just then was that I the, the math finally added up. I was like, Blood Rain, Oofable, Constantine Films german money <laughs> like <laughs> like so there is a connection there it's like i don't know if it was a constantine pr- film production but famously or infamously um apparently uva bull's entire filmography at this stage of his career like in the aughts um was brought upon by a german tax loop like a, a tax law issue that's huh. how he was able to finance his movies without you know like breaking the bank so I would not be surprised if those same tax laws were exploited uh, for the production of both Blood Rain and Pandora. <laughs> oh my God, Ben Kingsley's in that movie? Oh. Yes, he is, as is Meatloaf, as far as I remember. You got a problem when Michael Madsen is fourth build. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure he's worked with Uva Bull many, many times. Meatloaf, uh, Udo... He's probably a regular. Udo Kier, obviously. Oh, obviously. <laughs> Billy Zane... Oh no, Billy Xanatos. TJ William Xanatos. TJ Storm. Oh, there's some Oh, hey. No, TJ Storm. Right? Godzilla, the King of the Monsters himself? The the Irishman uh, the Irishman from Mc, Punisher yeah, 2? McGinty from uh, Punisher Warzone. <laughs> We'd like to take the roof. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're a fucking saint. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's great. Um yeah, yeah check out that episode, folks. That was a very fun one. I'm really glad we got around to that. Trevor, we could just do you've a bowl. I mean, my God. Uh, it might have to happen, bud. All right. Um, and I'm I, super I, think, I can think of some people that might want in on that, too. Oh. So we may have to bring some guests. Bring a, bring a friend. All right. Bring a friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, so now we're all in it together now. Um, I, we don't get much out of Alice. She doesn't really, doesn't really tell us much. She's just like... Yeah, she doesn't have a lot to say here. In fact, she tries to just go off on her own. She kind of grudgingly comes back to help them yeah. to serve as their guide. Um she does help us gain access to a door by exploiting a power surge like that uses like a hand touch panel, like a fingerprint ID thing, um, which gets us away from the monsters. So she kind of saves our asses and she brings us into her brightly lit dwelling, um, which, um, Kyle, have you ever seen Titan AE? 
I know of the front cover. That's all I know. Oh yeah, it it was everywhere. Like it it did not do well. It was a notorious bomb at the box office, as far as I remember. But it was advertised at like every video store you could imagine. I do remember Uh, in terms of theater performance. I think it did awful. Um, Anyway, the reason I bring it up is that that's what we're looking at. Is that the plot of Titan AE is that there's like a a spacecraft that has like all the genetic information of all of earth's creatures so quite literally like a genetic arc essentially i got you um and that's that's basically her home is is this vault where we get to see a a really cool little gigantic vault that has all these like vials in it containing the genetic information for all of earth's creatures uh she can't remember much uh and we eat some grasshoppers Mm -hmm. protein uh, as kyle had mentioned we need that um and she, I think she mentions that she's been uh, she's been awake for only six months, but she believes that we were all asleep for way longer than Ben Foster thinks. Yeah, way way longer. Um, yeah, and we cut back to DQ here. Yes, um, and this is where we get uh, what's his I can dude he is so forgettable. Like what's his name? Again? Never back down. Never back. I was trying to think of his actual name, Cam, but yeah, never back down. Uh, so we get him, and he's just like, he he just birthed out of goo. He is lubed up and, yeah. and farted out of the wall. Yeah, <laughs> he's literally given birth, and I didn't. Yes, really... the rubber tubing in the wall poops him out onto the floor. I'm like, wait, what? Okay, don't ask questions. <laughs> just don't ask questions. Just keep. Let's just keep going. Um, so we get him, and he's hanging out with DQ, and then we're somewhere, and then we get bones and juice. We we fall into a trap door or some shit. Oh no, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm actually. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> How it happens is Ben Foster falls through the floor, and much like Clark W. Griswold in Va- Christmas Vacation, instead of walking on the boards, uh, sh- <laughs> uh, Alice just walks on the tiles and just whoop, just straight through the floor as well, like right down. Yeah, you know the. <sighs> the the name of god the word of god they didn't yeah. they didn't do their research about how to obtain the holy grail they they fall straight through the fucking floor and it's actually kind of hilarious because two different people make the exact same mistake mm-hmm. uh, ben foster followed by her um and i did mention that the descent came out before this movie right yeah um it came i just looked it up it was 2005 and that's that's the scene like, yeah this this scene was actually somewhat uh infuriating for me because i was just like i so hang on you 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 built this this nasty tank full of bone bones and poop and forced these actors to stand in them for probably a whole day of shooting if not two days of shooting and for who and for what like like what did that achieve it's not even a tense moment like it's not even a scary moment in the film. It's just a thing that happens and wastes two minutes of screen time. It's completely pointless. I guess it's bizarre. I guess maybe it's to, I guess, amp up the scariness of the creatures. Um, I don't the, really the know. creatures who can't reach them. Like I, I can't be afraid of something that can't even get to me. Like like that. That's the difference between this and the descent. Is we have those moments in the descent where like they're using the night vision cam and they're. A, they're observing the monsters as they feed only a few feet away from them and they're trying to hold their breath and there's a reason that she falls into that blood pit thing is to save her ass like she's hiding trevor they just fall into a a vat of poop and stand there for no reason and then i even have in my notes we climb out without incident 
question mark? <laughs> well, they, what the fuck was that? They hide. It basically hides them from the creatures for a minute, but that's it. So one thing they don't even fully submerge their heads. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to know, uh, according to IMDb, something about this director. Uh, he was born in Germany near uh, Frankfurt. His strict Christian background frowned upon films and television, and in his childhood, he was rarely allowed to see a movie. He developed a fascination and love for the forbidden subject matter and quickly became an expert in his circle of friends, successfully hiding that he hadn't seen most of the films that they were talking about. So I think we have a, a, a guy who has a strict Christian background who just probably took a nosedive in college in, into horror movies, and I think he might just be purging some stuff. He's like, I'm seeing something. I think I want a bone pit. No reason. So if you need a, a scheisse pit, it's a thing I'm into. <laughs> I was like gagging a little bit looking at this because it gets in their mouth. Oh, it's in it's their a, mouth. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a poop hatch. Oh, it's what it is. It's this so is gross. Poop. So gross. Yeah, the, 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 you know the reason there's bones in there is because they came out of someone's ass. <laughs> I, I think if anything, it was just to try to make the creature seem a little scarier. Like it's kind of unsettling for some people to see like the aftermath of like this is what happens after. But I, other than that, I don't know what other purpose this served. I mean, part of the, part of the reason I like watching movies like this, Kyle, and and maybe you have some of this too, and we've talked about this plenty of times. It's like it's fun to kind of reverse engineer things a little bit and try to try to think of like this movie's not awful. Like it's not. No it's not a terrible film by any means it's just like it's kind of fun to look at movies of the scale and imagine ways that you could improve it just by making slightly different decisions like what came to mind when i was when i was watching this scene was the reason i had a note we climb out without incident is because i couldn't believe that we would have this set and have this happen like have our heroes seemingly trapped and then have no drama no tension at all come out of it like, what I was expecting was they're in there. We have that moment where they see a monster trying to get to them through the vents above them. It's like, oh, we're safe. It can't get to us. And then, like, in a Predator, you remember when Arnold's in the water? Mm-hmm. And he, he, like, exhales, and then the water splashes mm-hmm. because an invisible 400-pound alien just jumped Yes. Yeah, but that, that moment where there's the splash behind him, it's like, oh, shit. It's like, we thought we were good, yeah. and then we weren't, and now we have to hurry. But no, we don't do any of that. But anyway, by the way, the, the set here, the green room, as I was calling it, because, again, this director has seen at least one Zhang Yimou film, um, was making me think of the, the Madison Square Garden set in uh, Godzilla 98. Oh, yeah. Uh, just a little bit. Just something about the arrangement of the pods was making me think of those eggs. Um, there's no incompetent Frenchman uh, for them to eat, though, unfortunately. <laughs> I love those incompetent Frenchmen. They make me laugh in Godzilla. Where it's like, why are you here? Why are you, why are you here? <laughs> uh, exactly. But uh, we get a drop kick from a monster. And we just the movie just decides it is time for some fucking action. Yeah. So one monster, one humanoid monster jumps them. And all three of them have to fucking triple threat his ass. And this is this is a slobber knocker. Dude, it's like the Avengers trying to take down Thanos. Like they are having a difficult time. Oh yeah, this gets out of hand. This this escalates exceedingly fast. And yeah. Ben Foster is just bumping his ass off. He is bouncing yeah. off every wall. He gets the wind he's knocked doing out the of him. Rubber yeah. face thing where he's just <clears> like, <throat> like <clears throat> he looks dead every time he takes a bump. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, this thing, even Kung Lee gets flipped around. I mean, this thing is like it's knocking the shit out of these people, but they somehow manage to take it down. It, they turn around and there's just the rest of them, and it's like, well, shit. Like now what? Yeah, yeah. Noseless is there, and he calls in reinforcements. And I actually kind of like this idea where it's like I I do think like the first interaction with a monster like this it's important to get it right and to demonstrate to have norman reedus say they're fast they're strong is one thing but to have it demonstrated that it takes all three of them brandishing weapons to kill one of them Mm -hmm. and then to have them turn around and see 20 of them it's like oh now i know that they can't win this (laughs) it's like there is no hope so the only chance is to run like that's that's actually good like they did a good job there like danny glover at the end of predator 2 after he kills the one and it took 30 fucking minutes to get him to kill him and then like nine of them just show up it's like all right who's next yeah it it took 30 fucking minutes an assist from adam baldwin and gary Busey, uh about a half dozen different firearms Mm -hmm. uh and some predator tech and maybe a little bit of a fog machine yeah Uh, (laughs) it's it's like um (laughs) It uh, took all of that to take down one. Yeah, and then uh, these dudes just eat their boy. Like, they eat their friend. They're just like, yep, delicious. Um, and I I kind of laughed at this. It's dark, but I thought it was pretty funny. Um, somebody wakes up another dude from cryo, and he is eaten immediately. Like, wakes up and just disemboweled, done. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah. Like, that that is super dark. Like, if you take two seconds to think about that, that, again, like, I, I have to give credit to the film. Like, uh, an escape pod flying in the, like, in the vastness of space, uh, that's te- that's terrifying. But this, <laughs> this is like, holy fucking shit. You just woke up from hypersleep and the first thing you get to see is 20 of these things ripping your guts out. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's savage. Like, it, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I wish it was more gory, uh, is what I wish. But just the idea of it is fucking cool mm-hmm. um and then ben foster does attempt to make a move to save the guy but it's like buddy it he, he's not savable so kung lee like spirits him away like hauls him off if you just had eli roth just like maybe as a producer just like just just punch it up a little bit gets get some more gore in there it's kind of funny i just learned uh the other day through a, through the un, most unlikely of sources um what his next project is hmm. uh, do you have any idea, Kyle? No, I think the last thing I watched of his was The House with the Clock on the Walls. Yeah, and you said that was not half bad. It's pretty good. I It's probably his best movie. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because I, I don't expect there's a whole lot of gore effects in that, right? Nothing. There's no... It's it's yeah, it's yeah, like a kid's... It's a family film. It's a, yeah. it's a darker family film. Well, I think uh, Greg Nicotero still worked on that. Uh, doing like the prosthetic and animatronic effects for it or something and normally he's the gore guy but anyway his next project is a a, an adaptation of the video game borderlands um and i found this out by listening to a conversation from bobby lee the comedian (laughs) who is apparently in it (laughs) have you been listening to have you been listening to bad friends uh among other things bobby lee's a fascinating guy a troubled guy but fascinating yeah um but yeah, uh, that's Eli Roth's next picture. Um, anyway, um, we cut back to Peyton. And uh, by the way, Never Back Down's character name is Gallo, uh, which was also his uh, his name tag on his flight suit at the mm-hmm. very beginning of the film. Um, and he's chit-chatting with Peyton. 
And uh, we learn that Gallo is part of Flight Team 4, which means he was part of an earlier shift than Peyton and Bauer. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, and Gallo starts, uh, never back down, uh, starts rambling about how he had to dis- defend himself from his own crew because they were developing and showing signs of Pandorum. And I fig- I sussed out the, the turn that the story was going to take right here in my notes where I, I wrote down, uh, if you would have seen them, then you would have done the same thing. Emphasis, all bold text, sir. And I was like, is he talking to himself? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I think he's talking to himself. And sure enough, he is talking to himself. But uh, we cut to a yellow room because we, we need to have rooms bathed in specific colors because that might mean something. I don't think the director knows that, but it's just a thing he's seen in other movies, so he's just doing it. And we get introduced to a character that I was just calling Ratman, because I don't know his name, and he reminds me of a, of the rat guy from uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. <laughs> so I do not remember a second of that movie. I have no I have no idea what happens in that movie. I've completely lost it. Nick Cassavetes is in it. <laughs> My gosh. Um. So yeah. So how long did it take you to figure out this guy? Because. My spider senses were tingling immediately, and I had my Joker moment where I was like, I know a survivalist cannibal when I see one, and right there. I knew exactly what this guy's thread was the second they walked in there. Well, it's actually kind of funny, because I have it written in my notes, uh, Ratman, a.k.a. Predators, Mm -hmm. um, because I was thinking of Lawrence Fishburne in that film. Uh, which consequently actually came out the year after this one. Wow, um, I didn't realize it was that but long in term- ago. In terms of characterization, though, that's immediately what came to mind. Was no. He's the same character, basically, yeah. except Lawrence Fishburne is an infinitely better actor than this guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I. what did you th- uh, think of this scene where um, Ben Foster's touching the algae on the side of the wall? Did you catch that? I did, and I thought it was going to play into things a little bit more um i I was just like oh he he eats the slime like that's how the rat man stays alive he's just he sustains himself on the itchy algae growing on on the side of the wall Mm -hmm. but no i i thought it was going to be something didn't really mean anything yeah it's like are they going to do a super mario brothers movie thing here where they have to trust the algae (laughs) Did, did we watch that movie did we do that movie we did. I don't remember if you were part of the conversation, though. Uh, we did that with uh, Steampunk Link and Sammy um, Sne- Zero fr- Sne- from Snescapades. Snescapades. No, we did Street Fighter, I think. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, Street Fighter we did also. But yeah, we did a whole month of video game movies a while back. That was a fun one. Okay, because I remember watching Super Mario Brothers, but I'm like, I don't think I was able to be on that episode for whatever reason. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah, I, I don't think you were present for that one, but that was a really good episode, and I'm really glad that we got that out of the way, especially because I don't know how easy it would have been to get you interested in doing a whole talk about that movie. No. Um, yeah, so I'm like, this weird guy's going to eat them for sure. Uh, it's 100% <laughs> going to happen. Uh, and he gives them, his like, hey, I'm a chef. And I'm like, yep, there it is. There it's it's coming dude he's gonna eat you and he's like here have this little thing i made you i'm like do not fucking ingest that and wouldn't you know it they all get drugged and then hung upside down because he's gonna eat them obviously yeah it it's funny because they don't subtitle kung lee in this movie 
like he just speaks Vietnamese and nobody understands him but it would have been kind of funny if he like if he was subtitled and he was just like on the side just being like I don't trust this guy he's up to no good don't eat that <laughs> it's like you know, nobody in the room understands it but he's like 100% right <laughs> that would have been hilarious yeah that, no. nice Spielbergism yeah yeah no that would have been really cute to like have him have him secretly be the smartest guy in the room but unfortunately no one understands him um but anyway, it's around this time that uh, it's theories about like what these creatures are starts start to come out. But in the meantime, we're cutting back to Peyton, and uh, this is the rhythm for the re- remainder of the film. Basically, is like Peyton Bauer, Peyton Bauer. We're, yeah. we're jumping back and forth between DQ uh, talking to never back down and uh, Bauer hanging out with the Rat Man and stuff uh, on his way to the reactor. <laughs> um, but. Uh, DQ is hanging out with Never Back Down, who is snooping on him, and uh, DQ brings out a sedative, and uh, Never Back Down like gets up in his face and is like, "Why don't you take it? Why don't you use that on yourself? You should sedate yourself." Can, can like, we? What? Can we just say that the DQ and Cam thread is literally just Dennis Quaid is spattling his subconscious. Let's get back to uh, let's get back to a big monster. Yeah, I am very comfortable with that. Okay, no more cutting back. Um, <laughs> let's let's just let's just leave it at that. Basically, never back down is a younger, is a projection of his younger self. But I do think there was an interesting way that he was doing this, and I caught it, and I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Um, and it's, that's when it started to dawn on me. They start calling each other by their different titles because the younger one's corporal and he's lieutenant. Yes. And then he says he calls him the older guy corporal, and then he calls him lieutenant. And I'm like, oh, it's it's him. It's a younger version of him. It's funny because from a scripting and a performance standpoint, this is all good stuff. Like yeah. it's actually well put together. I I I, I kind of jumped the line and got ahead of the mystery maybe a little earlier than was intended, yeah. but. Like if you take that away from it, like objectively, it's well structured. Mm-hmm. Like the the writing is there. Um, my problem with it, my issue with it, is how how long it's stretched yeah. out. Where it's like there's a half an hour too much of of this thread. That's like you you had to understand that some people were going to figure this out earlier than you intended, and you needed to get out in front of that. But unfortunately, we spend a lot of screen time just just dilly dallying, having him. Having him have chit chat with himself, it's like I know what's happening. Can we just like get to it? Anyway, uh, Ratman uh, tells it. He basically tells us the story of Elysium of the spacecraft. Um, so everybody's he's on like a balcony talking down uh, to the people uh, that he's been serving meals to, um, and uh, basically the ship took off and uh, everybody was asleep. All the people were in cryo sleep. There were three people in charge. Um, and there were no problems until they received a transmission, which this is all vis- like represented visually, by the way. It's pretty well done. Um, and also he like carved like into the metal walls, like like kind of like cave paintings, like renderings of, of the story that he's telling them. Um, but basically the transmission that we saw at the very beginning of the move, the Godspeed and good luck mission from a dying earth um, is the transmission he's alluding to here. Um, we get a visual reminder that Never Back Down was on the bridge, just in case you forgot. Um, and the Rat Man starts rambling about a king, somebody who did not go into hypersleep. So one of the three people in charge of running the ship on the bridge did not go into hypersleep when they were supposed to, and instead woke up 
a huge number of the passengers and relegated them to the uh, the shipping container room that we saw earlier, I guess. And they were forced to live there for generations, like years and years and years with nothing to eat but each other, essentially. Um, so kind of a hell on earth type scenario, um, being locked in a warehouse with nothing to eat but your neighbors. Mm. Like, it's pretty fucked. There's a lot of really fucked up shit in this movie if you take two seconds to think about it. It's not represented on film especially well, but in terms of ideas, it's not lacking for them. Um, anyway, our heroes are gassed, and uh, they're hanged upside down. And by the way, Alice eats a knife to the torso, which she completely no-sells. Yeah. She shrugs that off like nothing. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, that is a tough lady. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Like, you were stabbed in the in the gut. Um, anyway, Bauer manages to save himself, though. Um, from being cannibalized uh, by stating that the reactor, like all the rumblings that we've had, all the power surges, point like all signs point to the reactor ultimately shutting down very soon, uh, which spells doom for everyone, including the Ratman. Uh, so now we have a new team member, essentially, uh, on our quest to restart the reactor. Um, I think we've run into a, a, a juvenile monster yeah. uh, that looks absolutely hideous um it, it it looks terrifying <laughs> like it, it is not pleasant to look at and uh we get a little bit of uh uh breadcrumbs laid down like a little bit of irony uh, a sprinkling of irony here where kung lee is the one who wants to chop its fucking head off and alice stops him put a pin in that um because she's like it's a child it's harmless and he's like, <laughs> it's like i don't Lady. think so <laughs> um and it's around this time that bauer's memory uh starts to return to him he mentions that uh, his his wife is not with him um and, and we get like a nice little vignette like a nice little episode on the streets of earth before he got on elysium before he got on the spacecraft and earth looks inhospitable like it looks terrible like he's having to wear like a beekeeper's hat and there's like horrible dust winds and the sky is blackened it really does look like it's kind of the end of the earth um and he also mentions that he remember he remembers Peyton's wife, so he remembers DQ's wife, and he's not happy about remembering that. Um, put a pin in that, I guess. Um, but we head to the reactor room, and uh, Kyle, do you have any takeaways from this sequence? Is this the gross ass uh, sleep orgy pit? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of orgies, we've, that's not the first one we've had this month. Conan. Oh, I was like, was that this month? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so apparently, so they've got the, the, the reactor, they have to go across a little skywalk, uh, that is not bolted in, and there is a disgusting, sweaty, sloppy, gross, fucking sleep pit of shirtless things just down there snoring and probably fucking, it's, it's really disgusting. This was done really well, uh, this was very unsettling for me, but basically, the gist is, is old Ben Foster's got to get across here, across here, and turn this reactor on or something like that. But whoopsie doodle, uh, he falls down into this pit. They don't hear it, but he he manages to uh, fall into the pit, and now we have to change things up a bit. What do you think about the gross ass pit? Uh, it's it's gross. Yeah. Uh, dank is the word that comes to mind. Uh, it looks stinky. Oh, it dang! Looks dank, dank, and 
dank. Oh, uh, that's not that. Uh, in pothead circles, in the aughts, and uh, going into the tens, dank was like oh, some dank ass shit, dude. Uh, it's weed. It does some dank yeah, ass I, weed. I have never once in my life used that word for that purpose. Yeah, <laughs> got to get on the level, dude. Uh, I think I'd have to hit myself or slap myself or something. No, nah, man, you get a you get a whiff of some really. I mean, most weed smells. I've never had bad smelling weed, but you get some good smelling weed. You're like, oh, some dank ass shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, this this room is dank, but not in the fun way. Not in the good um, way. It, no, it's a hot, spicy ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bo. Oh. Tre- staining the walls bo trevor look out dude i got i got hit in the face yesterday with this uh now that the mask mandate is no longer in place people don't have to wear masks and because i'm vaxxed boosted and i've tested positive this week i decided not to wear my mask motherfuckers aren't wearing deodorant still and i learned that coming out of class yesterday it hit me in the face so hard i'm like oh fuck i forgot about that so maybe just keep that mask on if you even if you don't have to yeah you don't have to tell me twice there are certain smells that you know i i don't especially feel good about inviting into my nostril um, so if i have to wear a mask to prevent that more than happy to not a big ask i feel bad anyway i feel bad because i wasn't expecting it so when i opened the door and it hit me and he was like pretty close to me i go Whew. i made like a <laughs> I made the noise no I, there are certain Certain breeds, and they are breeds because it comes from organisms, Kyle, um, <laughs> the, uh, of BO that that feel like a physical force, yeah, bumping into your face, like it's just a, a warm cloud, like a warm slap in the face. Oof. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. Gross. Hate it. Hate it. Uh, but yeah, this is an entire room of that, um, and <laughs> Bauer has the idea uh, to make himself a skin suit. <laughs> Like you do. It would have been kind of funny if the smell hit them in the face and one of them puked. Like, oh, just a- I mean, realistically, <laughs> you you probably would. You would be retching. Yeah. Just him like dry. Just, he, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, by the way, there was puke in this movie when when Ben Foster first woke up. For, it's important to mention that. But yeah. there need, this movie needed more puke. Yeah. Though, because just opening the door to this room should yeah. have elicited even from alice especially from alice yeah. aka the hot chick just, yeah. <laughs> just you like, didn't think about Whoa. the smell you bitch <laughs> <laughs> i mean imagine that it's just like the whole time she is cold as ice like yeah. she's the cool girl through and through and then they open the door just whoosh <laughs> it would be better if they all puked they all puked and she gave like that classy like she just kind of turns her head and closes her eyes a little bit and just like takes it like a like takes it like a champ and everybody else is dry heaving. Well, see, in a different movie, in a movie with a sense of humor, you would do that. Mm. Where I mean, her character, like what little there is, is she's a survivor. She's mm-hmm. been at it for a, she's new, basically. She's she's been at it for a while. She's been surviving in harsh conditions for a lot longer than Ben Foster. So all of this is new to him, and so he would puke when they yeah. opened the door. And then he'd be, like, on his knees or something, and she'd, like, slap him and just be like, get together. Yeah. Just, like, don't be a pussy. Like, it's something like that. Yeah. It's just, like... With coming from her sweet... Like, she has a very, very soft and sweet voice. It would have been kind of good if she's like, get that pussy. And keep going. <laughs> I mean, I, I think from a character standpoint, that, that would have been consistent, and it would have been more interesting. Mm-hmm. Point is, this movie needed more puke. Yes. <laughs> He's gonna puke! Okay. 
oh, I just watched that movie again the other day. I'm not surprised. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I found it at a used bookstore, and I was like, "Oh, that, that's something I should." <laughs> See, Kyle had he you... had the I I should have owned that a long time ago. Kyle had that moment with Silence of the Lambs the other day. For me, thought... it was <laughs> it was beyond, beyond the mat. mat. <laughs> I'm picturing you like Mel Gibson in Conspiracy Theory. Every time he sees a copy of The Catcher in the Rye in that movie, he has to buy it. But for you, it's like every time I see a copy of Beyond the Mat. I gotta I mean, buy it. It was it was three dollars, Kyle, <laughs> and I don't I didn't own it. Yeah, it's like wow, the, it was meant to be. The girlfriend was just like, "You're you're out of the apartment," and she's just kind of looking through your stuff. It's like, "Oh, what's this box beyond the mat?" And she opens it up, and it's like a hundred copies of Beyond the Mat on DVD and VHS. And she's like, "I have to get the fuck out of here." <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate to tell you this, Kyle, but uh, just just the other day, I recorded with Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast doing mm-hmm. our special Tales from the Shelf episode talking about documentaries. I discovered I have a stack of wrestling documentaries roughly the height of my, my girlfriend's nephew. Wow. I thought yeah. there was one, and it was beyond the mat. No, there are many, oh. and I, apparently I have all of them. I was not aware of that until until the that I was tasked with pulling them aside. Honestly, and holy fucking shit, it was embarrassing. You need you need to put a ring on that finger, dude. <laughs> but I have my eyes on a Randy Savage documentary. <laughs> Priorities, man. <laughs> I can't propose. <laughs> I need to find There's a another documentary. <laughs> There's another one out there. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh god. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. You were saying? Um. Oh. Ben Foster crafts himself a suit made of human skin, like you do. Good transition. Uh, to, yeah, Sorry. he he. Uh, he uses it to camouflage his scent and his personhood amongst the monsters. Um, and yeah, he manages to crawl across the sleeping horde. Um, unfortunately, they all get woken up when the rat man, who did not go down into the pit with them, drops his fucking flashlight. How, that little how shit. does one do that? Yeah, how, do you, how does one Dude, fuck up that? Battle? He should be strong enough. He's got plenty of protein. I know he's the only person who's had a decent meal. Like, look at Kung Lee. How? I'm, that's what I'm curious. Yeah, about. Dude. how is Kung Lee keeping that up? Ah, he. he I, I don't know. He might be eating more more people than that dude. Jeez. I mean, again, subtitles, man. Yeah. Subtitles would have been awesome. Where he's like, I eat people all the time. <laughs> I don't see what the big deal is. <laughs> like that would have been fucking hilarious. Yeah, they come from like <laughs> warring tr- uh, cannibal tribes. Like he's just like, I know who this guy is. We shouldn't be here. And but yeah, no, that's what yeah. I was getting. It's like it would be really cute if he if he has a leg up on everyone. The only problem is there's a language barrier. Yeah, um, interesting. And like even I mean, spoiler alert, he's about to die. Like it would have been maybe even more interesting if maybe he had some really important information. Like maybe he's maybe he becomes aware of DQ situation before everyone else, and he just doesn't have the tools to tell them or something. Like he's like, oh yeah, that guy's a fucking traitor. He's the reason we're in this shit. Listen to me, white people. Oh. <laughs> it's like, nope, can't do that, buddy. You're here to kick people, not to talk. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Kung Lee manages to distract all the monsters. They do restart the reactor, by the way, yes, which they restores do. power to the ship. 
and grants everybody access to the bridge, which has been the goal the entire time. Um, and uh, Kong Lee sacrifices himself by distracting all the monsters, and uh, he has a one-on-one uh, throwdown with Noseless, uh, a.k.a. the best makeup effect in the movie. Uh, may as well make use of it. And they have a nice little scrap. Like, the way it's choreographed is very sensible, actually, because Noseless isn't busting out, like, crazy balletic like martial arts moves or anything he's fighting like a wild animal meanwhile kung lee is doing you know more choreographed like actual martial arts moves and like roundhouse kicks and stuff like that um but it's it's actually a well-crafted little scrap um it's brutal too like it's actually pretty violent but um kung lee manages to like win by the skin of his teeth um by actually ripping out one of the like metal adornments like like i don't know what you'd call this it's an ornament of some sort it's obviously placed as part of like a tradition or a culture that these things have developed it's actually in embedded in the thing's back he actually rips it out and stabs it in the neck with its own like like accessory basically by the way uh we didn't mention it but the monsters are hyper evolved humans Mm. um so it is explained to us by a combination of the rat man and alice uh that basically all the people in uh while they were in hypersleep or something uh that those that like the fluids and the the skin suits that everybody was wearing it has some sort of compound in it that is meant to enhance the genetic adaptability of of humans so as to allow them to land on a a new planet aka tanis um and survive and thrive and apparently uh, things got out of control and over the course of X number of years uh, this caused people to evolve to survive exclusively in the environment of this ship uh, which is why they're like so primal and, and ferocious is because food is extraordinarily scarce and apparently this is just how business is done now um, anyway uh, Kung Lee does manage to survive but wouldn't you know it that uh, that baby from earlier he runs into it again and uh, he lets down his guard for a second and it slits his throat mm-hmm. uh tragic tragedy ain't it um and then uh i think we cut to the bridge really quick where uh um this is where we finally get the the like the other shoe drops mm-hmm. where it comes fully into the open that uh dennis quaid has been having a conversation with a younger version of himself aka gallo aka never back down mm-hmm. and i actually really like this scene where they're like grappling with each other and uh they're like kind of entwined with one another and they actually physically merge with each other like I, I actually thought that was a really cool idea and pretty well executed because they uh the camera fixates on their uh, forearm tattoos and which are identical at this point and it actually shows their arms kind of like merge into each other it's it's a nice little bit of like body horror uh, that I thought actually was achieved pretty well. Um, by the way, Dennis Quaid gets the classic line of, I'm going to carve you up. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he said that before, probably in in a more social context, like just in his daily life. You know, every every other Wednesday, you know, it just happens in the Quaid household. Um, but Kyle, do you remember what happens to the rat man? I don't. Yeah, Kyle's face is telling me he doesn't. I thought it was fucking hilarious. So the Rat Man is doing what what the Burke uh, in any one of these sci-fi movies, the Burke being Paul Reiser from Aliens, mm-hmm. uh, basically the traitor, 
uh, it, basically he ran off while everybody was trying to fight off the monsters. He sprinted off ahead of them and was like locking doors as he went. Um, he actually gets to the bridge uh, just in time to see Dennis Quaid like shaking off the cobwebs of his psychological break uh, they just had. And Dennis Quaid has the, the, the sedative gun in his hand. And Ratman's just like rambling at him, like, "Oh man, you're the captain. Like, like we gotta right the ship. You're gonna help me, right?" And like Dennis Quaid just puts up his hand. He's just like, y- "You gotta shut up." And without a word, he just jams the needle in Ratman's oh, eye. Yeah, <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. It's like he survived all the monsters just to get stabbed in the fucking face by Dennis Quaid. Yeah, but he's not. That doesn't kill you. He's not dead. He's just. Does he? I guess does he give him a shot of the sleepy stuff? I mean, he's in con- he's in convulsions on the floor, right. um, and then what happens later definitely kills him. Oh yeah, for so sure. Even if even if the needle doesn't kill him, he will be dead shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he in there, he ain't happy. Uh, to, to quote Major Payne. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Bauer uh, seems to know that Peyton isn't who he seems. Uh, it's it's just mentioned offhand. He again he mentioned that he remembers Peyton's wife. We don't see Peyton's wife. But somehow he puts together, that ain't Peyton. And uh, this is where we get the the big confrontation uh, in the captain's chair. And do you remember how this plays out at all, Kyle? No. no. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> we, I'm like, I looked at the t- run time. I'm like, there's 10 minutes left. I'm like, okay, I'm just kind of looking at it. It's nothing to write home about. Uh, basically, we have, I mean, this is borderline like uh, Emperor Palpatine or Darth Vader speech here. Yeah, that's like, why I'm just or- like whatever or uh or like a heath ledger joker speech where basically it's dennis quaid getting in ben foster's face and encouraging him to embrace madness it's so freeing and liberating um and ben foster as we saw is kind of off kilter already so it seems like he's kind of entertaining the idea a little bit well at this point they've opened up the doors like opened up the the blast doors and it's there's no stars outside it's completely black so i'm like what the fuck is happening and then he's just like you know we've this whole thing and stuff, you know what's going on. This is what's got to happen. I'm like, where the fuck is happening? Why is it dark outside? That was too much for me. So everything else is happening. I'm like, just just, just get, get it over with. What, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, so the viewports are open and we can't see any stars. What's that? What's up with that? Um, also, Ben Foster gets snippy with him and freaks out a little bit. And I, my note says here, like, holy shit, did he take a tooth? Because he he pulls out like a multi tool or something, and yeah, he jams it in Dennis Quaid's mouth, and I was like, I think he just yanked out a tooth. That's a real that's fucked up. It's a real zero to seventy seventy five. Yeah, that's a real quick one. Yeah, it, I kind of in a different movie that would have been given a little bit more uh, glory, it would like a, a more of a close up, like a gore effect of some sort. But no, like we don't even get like a nice sound effect. It's just like. I think he just yanked out one of his teeth, but mm. no, it, it's just implied for the most part. Really harsh, but um, they're interrupted by incandescent jellyfish, uh, which appear outside the uh, up the viewports and stuff. And it's like, oh, we're underwater. Yeah. That's why we can't see the stars. That's why it's dark. Which we're is, in the water. We already landed. Which, for some reason, made it even more terrifying for me. Uh <laughs> I'm like, middle of space or deep, deep, deep in the black underwater. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's that's a toss-up. I think being underwater is probably scarier. I mean, 
I, it, it's more familiar. It seems more within reach. And yes, it does sound terrifying to me. Uh, I don't know what it is about a deep sea horror, but it's like one of my favorite subgenres. I, I love that shit. Yeah. I'm very attracted to those stories. The second I found out that we were deep underwater on this, I'm like, oh, I want to watch The Abyss. Just imme- <laughs> immediately. <laughs> uh, by the way, a monitor displays 923 years in space. Mm-hmm. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. And by the way, Earth went kaboom, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, it is gone, which is why that transmission was sent. Like, Earth Earth is gone. All the people on this spacecraft are all we got. Yeah, no, the deaths... Um, we're not, like... It's not, like, destroy. Like, oh, the planet Earth is destroyed. It's, like, like the Death Star blew it up, destroyed. No, it, it's it's Alderaan. Yeah. Like, it, 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 it is no more. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, the girl, Alice, uh, she throws down with Dennis Quaid for a bit, and he gets some closed fist fucking punches on her. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm not buying it, bro. Dude, she's way more capable. I mean, she she puts up a good fight, but they actually do remember, like, solid booking. They actually do remember she has a fucking hole. She has a puncture yeah, that's true. in her abdomen, which he exploits at one point. But, but yeah, just the sight of middle-aged Dennis Quaid, just closed fist, just, like, haymakering this small woman in the fucking face is a little weird. It's a little uncomfortable. Um but yeah, they have a brief scrap, which again is a sim- is symptomatic of Ott's trash. Is like highly choreographed fist fights out of nowhere. Mm. It's like this doesn't need to be in the movie. I mean, I appreciate it, but I I'm me. Like that that that's not everybody though. Like not every movie needs to be inspired by the Matrix to some degree. But anyway, um, Bauer is having a little freak out of his own um, on the side, by the way, and he like envisions one of the monsters breaking in through an electrical panel on the bridge like he he imagines that and he ends up shooting the panel which blows it up and also causes some shrapnel to bounce off of one of the the viewports like one of the blast door like glass housings or whatever and this was completely unbelievable so a ricochet of like a shard of metal ricocheting off of off of glass causes it to shatter excuse me <laughs> like like this this spacecraft this spaceship was engineered to fly in space correct <laughs> and it is uh several leagues under the sea like it is pitch black under there this thing is withheld water for many 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 years and it yeah, is do you realize how how pressurized that that jet of water would be it would have like, it would have been immediate like if if it actually would have busted it it would have been done yeah, yes, the the chamber would be flooded. If you got hit with one of those streams of water, you would be sliced in half. <laughs> Have you ever seen the photos of the dude that was... the? There was a compartment, basically a super... Like a super explosion underwater, basically. Like a super compression. And they brought the, the remains of this dude's body back up. It's not... It doesn't look like a human anymore. It is just mush. Yeah, to to use one of my favorite words uh, from not one of my favorite movies, but a movie I watched way too many times uh, when I was young, uh, Sphere. Also mm. a deep sea adventure film. Yeah. Uh, pulverized. Yes, pulverized. Pulverized that might, is, is, is this the word. That might be the worst undersea movie that I've seen. It's not great, it's but not I've great. seen it a million fucking times for some reason. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Uh, it got It got me at the right time. 
still doesn't make a lick of sense, Mm-mm. even after all those feelings. Um, Samuel L. Jackson really doesn't like eggs. <laughs> squid. It's squid. Yeah. I hate squid. That's stupid. I hate squid. I hate squid. I hate squid. Poor Leaf Schreiber. He was great in that. Yeah. That may was that. I think that was aside from Scream. I think that was the first time I saw him. Hmm. Um. Anyway, a long story short, the glass breaks and the chamber floods. The bridge floods, and somehow, our heroes, our breeding pair, or literally our breeding pair, uh, managed to escape. Uh, Bauer and Alice, and uh, Peyton's final image we get on screen is him just like clasping (laughs) he like jackie chan palms on his forehead (laughs) just (laughs) um as the water cascades around him and the entire spacecraft is flooded um bauer and alice manage to escape via uh actually his own like cryogenic chamber like it even has his name on it like he didn't he didn't just pick a random one he picked the one with his name tag assigned to it uh and they jet off to the surface and yet again i was met with a sequence where i was like expecting tension and then they didn't bother because the tension i was expecting was we get an extended sequence of of the escape pod shooting up out of the water and heading towards the surface there's only one oxygen mask so he he takes it off of his own face and gives it to her. Um, and it takes a long time to get to the surface. They're very deep under the water. So I was thinking like, Oh no, like is one of them going to drown or something? Like seems possible. Like that's the entire thing is flooded and it's taking a long time, but no, not only like they, they rob you of the tension by having the pod breach the surface. And then the, the, the hatch shoots off and then like, without skipping a beat we see ben foster like rear up and it's like oh he's fine <laughs> it's like all you had to do is have the door shoot off of it and then not show him for a few seconds or have her have to resuscitate him or something it's like no we're not doing that kind of thing like we don't want tension in our in our action adventure movie well to make a happy um, ending it's also supposed this was also supposed to be a trilogy so this was <laughs> Yeah, this was yeah they 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 filmed this to be a three this was one of three movies that were going to be filmed so you had to have your breeding pair at the end of this yeah and and all the other escape pods apparently as the ship was flooded it's like a it's an emergency protocol all of the other people in tubes are launched to the surface mm-hmm. uh, so mission complete uh, they have reached Tanis, uh and now they can go forth breed and flourish yeah and, and bang yeah. as kyle indicated with his hand gesture just then yeah um yeah it's gonna be a lot of banging after after all that dankness you gotta get out somehow <laughs> yeah um but yeah that's how our movie ends uh with uh we the camera pulls back and we get to see like an orbital view of the planet Taunus. it says Taunus year one population 1213 uh it's a lot of people actually yeah like, <laughs> like a lot more than i was expecting but i don't know how you would make a sequel to this um, especially because, like, the big selling point in the advertising uh, was Kung Lee kicking uh, cannibal monsters, which we just saw all drowned. So there's no more of that. Uh, I guess maybe you do, like, an Avatar thing where it's just like, it's a beautiful new planet. There will be critters out there that they can, you know, hunt and stuff. But, yeah, uh, that's that's Pandora mm-hmm. uh, from the year 2009, as directed by Christian Alvar to... Upon closer inspection, does not appear to have directed anything else of note. Um, <laughs> mo- mostly just domestic German films that 
I have no interest in checking out. He se- he seems to be just kind of a hired gun from that happens to be from Germany. Um, anyway, any closing thoughts on this one, Kyle? No. Uh, well, it was a fun conversation, and we discovered that uh, we certainly have a lot of, I don't know, enthusiasm and laughs that we can uh, toss towards uh, Ott's trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's a project for next month or something. <clears throat> so look forward to that if you're into that sort of thing. But uh, in the meantime, folks, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that located on our website on catchinguponcinema.com. You can also find us on the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Whew. Yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at you, Vavol's, uh, I IMDb. <laughs> Woo!